This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. You ready for another day? It's another. It's not another day. It's the day. It's Friday. The day of joy, the day of peace. Is the, it? Yeah. For who? For everybody. Okay. You think everyone out there has a wonderful day on Friday? Yes. Okay. And it's not even the 13th. Last week it was. We went an entire day, didn't even mention Friday the 13th. Today, just Friday. But a good day. I think it's kind of cliche to make a big deal of Friday the 13th on Friday the 13th. Right, I agree. I think everyone does that. I like doing it about a week later. Yeah, a week later we'll talk about it. Because then it's over. Then you know the damage. Speaking of damage... (laughs) It's a great segue. Speaking of damage, we'll be talking today about... um, the Silicon uh, Valley, well, the tech, the tech bubble, really. Is tech going to burst? I lived through the dot-com bomb, and, you know, sure, a lot of things were overinflated. Yeah, quite a few. But, you know, we survived. Is it, is, are we living in a tech bubble where things are overestimated, the values are too high, non-existent? I don't know. I don't think so. Problem solved. Done? You don't think there's a problem? Um, well, according it depends who you talk to, huh? Yeah, Donald Trump? Donald Trump mentions it. He talks about how there's a, there's a big tech bubble. There's going to be a, a stock market crash when the, the money falls out of the bottom of Silicon Valley, and then Silicon Valley makes fun of him. Yeah. So. I mean, there's billions and billions and billions of dollars being just invested, even in Utah. Utah's become... I don't know if they're second or third in tech creation. They're out of control. There's apparently a, a section of the this town we're in right here in Provo, Utah, that they call Unicorn Unicorn Road or whatever. Alley or yeah. something. And there's three or four ma- huge companies. I don't know if they're really producing anything yet. Well, yeah. this might all be investment on future possibilities. Yeah, but they're right here in town, and it's something that was featured in a three billion dollar tech companies. Plus, uh, there's probably twenty four other they say that could go public in the next twenty four months. Right. So something's working, and people keep buying more and more stuff. Right. I mean, it's it, we're not getting rid of technology. How many apps? I think eighteen hundred apps make a million dollars at least. 1,800 apps through iTunes. It's crazy. Or uh, through Apple. So let's get real. Something's, something's real about it. Does, it. does it really sustain the value? Who knows? Today we're going to be talking about an uh, a, a adventure that's going on at the University of Utah that is pretty fascinating. 400 freshmen have dorms at this Lassonde mm-hmm. Entrepreneurial Institute. They get to come live there and be creative and try to really start innovating their, their really creative ideas. They call them incubators, business incubators. So it's a place where the business can start. It doesn't have all the stresses of just being out there by themselves. And they, they get the support from the school with, with you know, experts and things to help them, give them ideas on how to progress forward. Yeah. And it's interesting that you're making an investment into this kind of a, a big, big idea to help future business 
in a situation where there might be a tech bubble. And right. so you're making a bet on something that might not be maybe, there maybe in a few years. Maybe it's just a little tech burp. Could be. Just a little burp. A little gas passing not through like the system. It's, yeah, it's yeah. not going to just knock you out. Maybe just a little burp. But also what I love about this uh, institute we're going to be talking – we're going to be talking with the executive director of it. I like the fact that it's um, – that these people – this is the new way of educating people. If you want people to be you know, tech-friendly and creative and understanding and this is the way you learn it. You don't learn it just going and sitting in a room. You learn it by living, living it right. day in, day out. So it's a pretty cool, I think, advancement in education as well. We'll be getting to that in a few moments. But first, let's get to the headlines, find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Terry? Thanks, Matt. With tensions rising between Bernie Sanders and the his campaign and the Democratic National Committee, Democratic leaders are nearing agreement on a number of concessions to Sanders at the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia in July. A Sanders aide says the senator from Vermont either wants to change how the Democrats pick their nominee or get more of his policy ideas into the Democratic Party platform. And the latter option is the opening gambit from the, the DNC. The Washington Post reports adding that the DNC, Sanders, and Hillary Clinton campaigns could com- uh, complete negotiations by the end of the week. There are three main committees at the convention, platform, rules, and credentials. And the final deal will probably include more Sanders loyalists on each committee than he was offered before, but not the 50-50 split that he wants. The platform changes Sanders' camp will push for include the $15 minimum wage and a more balanced policy on Israel and, Palest- and the Palestinians. This is all from the Washington Post. A father and son in Toledo, Ohio, were arrested Thursday for allegedly keeping a teen girl chained up in their basement for as long as a year. The suspects... Uh, were identified as a, a father and son, were, were taken into custody while apparently trying to flee in their van. Now they face kidnapping and child endangerment charges. The victim, who had not been, who has not been identified, was related to the men and told police that she had been placed in shackles in a dark basement uh, after she wet the bed. It's unclear exactly how long she was forced to live in the basement. The girl's been placed in foster care after the incident, along with two other children who had been living in the home. The Oklahoma State Legislature has passed a bill that would criminalize abortion procedures in the state. According to the language of the bill, anyone who has found to have have performed an abortion except an instance to save the life of the mother will be found guilty of a felony and can receive up to three years in prison. The bill now sits on the governor's desk for final approval. The Center for Reproductive Rights has already called on the Oklahoma governor to veto the bill, which the group says is in uh, contravention of longstanding federal and state constitutional principles, as well as basic human rights. Morley Safer, the longtime 60 Minutes uh, CBS reporter, has died at the age of 84. He officially retired last week after 46 years in the business. According to the network, Safer's health had been in decline when it uh, announced his retirement. His wife told the New York Times that he died of pneumonia. On Thursday, Charlie uh, Linville became the first combat amputee to make it to the top of Mount Everest. The Marine Corps veteran reached the 29,000-foot peak after taking the northern and more difficult route. Before his expedition, Linville, a 30-year-old married father of two from Idaho, told USA Today that he wanted to show people that no, you don't have to pit, you don't have to have pity for disabled veterans because we're capable of so much more than you think. Staff Sergeant Linville lost his leg in 2011 and has a prosthesis that was fitted. If you see the photograph, you see the prosthetic, and then. It has these crazy spikes on the end oh, so he cool. can have traction. They, they made him a special uh, prosthetic so he could climb Mount Everest. That is a, that's a big deal. 
I remember when I climbed Everest. You've never climbed Everest. Unless never, Everest well, is what you call your couch. I watched that show. You climb onto that couch and... I don't sit on the couch. It's too... What do you have? A chair? too busy. Sit on the floor? I Big, just have, you I have just, a beanbag, don't you? I have a love sack. <laughs> I have a beanbag chair. Uh, I don't get to watch a lot of TV. Hmm. I just just read all day. Sounds like a wonderful life. <clears throat> yeah. That is really cool. And by the way, a Marine. Are you kidding me? Hmm. That's what it takes to to climb Everest with a spike hook. Like, I mean, you just you, it's the kind of spikes you'd want on your boots if you're trying to climb a, climb awesome. a mountain. And he had it on his uh, his prosthetic legs. That's so, cool. Yeah. Well, good news for them. And um, you know what I'm liking is uh, finally it seems like there's some excitement in the Democratic Party, which right. was getting pretty boring. Well, they've been trying to talk about issues. So they said those are boring. Yeah, and um, now they're just what trying to intimidate Bernie Sanders. They're trying to appease him, but also take kind of control back after, after I think they're afraid of what they saw in Nevada. Yeah. I, I heard some of the audio this morning of, of the, uh, the democratic leader there in Nevada asking, you know, basically the, uh, there's a point in the, con- there's a state convention in Nevada and they step up and they say, these are the rules we've agreed on for the convention all in favor say aye. All in favor, you know, all against say nay, and the eyes have it right. Well, yeah. they said as they did that, all you could hear was Bernie Sanders people screaming no, no, and, and they go okay, the eyes have it, and they walk away. And you're like, uh, whoa, what was that? Yeah, you got to listen. I think the Republican convention had a similar situation yeah. where they stepped up, people were screaming no, and they go okay, that uh, the the resolution passes, and they walk away, and and it's this thing where. We're just going to do it. We understand you don't want it. Yeah. And there's a there's a large group of people here right. in we disagreement. We understand half of you. But we don't care. We're moving on. Right. See, that <laughs> – you just can't do that. And so at what point do these private clubs, the Republicans and the Democrats, become – is it a democratic process or is it just no. the leadership rules? Well, they've known for years that Hillary was going to be it. Apparently so, she didn't, though. I don't. Do she's, you... like, she's like, I, I, did, I did my speeches – and I wasn't sure if I was going to run right. for president, so that's why I did those speeches. No. And I, you know, no, no, because you have the speeches, right? You yeah. wouldn't have done that if you're going to run well, for president. Except, but. well, she had to do the speeches because she has to raise money to be president. And she ran, a, she the, raised a million dollars, apparently. Well, she, well, she shook a lot of hands that have probably raised a lot more for her. I've heard speculations that there are no speeches. There were speeches. That she maybe might, they weren't speeches. She made, maybe she made some phone calls. Oh. Maybe they lasted 15 minutes and they oh, paid her 250000 Don't you think she had to have done the speeches? I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's maybe the that's reason why there's not a she transcript. doesn't want to talk about transcripts is there are no transcripts. She didn't do phone call transcripts. But I think in the end what we're going to find out is um, the, Dem- the Democratic Party has become the Republican Party and the Republican Party has become the Democratic Party. Yeah. Hillary really is – so kind of big money, big business, bigger than the the GOP is right now, mm-hmm. bigger than Bernie. Crazy. This the whole thing's changed. She's she, probably bigger hawk. She was on Trump. CNN. Chris Cuomo, the the reporter there, interviewing her, and uh, he started with, "Now you're the presumptive nominee. She, I'm the nominee. Come on." Did this, she say that? Yeah, she was. This has been settled. We, uh, uh, Chris, we settled this three years ago. She goes, I haven't reached that threshold yet, but there's no yeah. way Bernie can can beat me at this. So have, I'm, I'm, I'm the nominee. We have lined it up so there's absolutely no way Bernie will be able to do this. And he just looked at her like, okay. 
That was interesting. And then move forward, yeah. I did not see that. Hey, I found some a study that is ex- will explain a lot of Ben's behavior. Oh, no. We had one yesterday. How many studies are there? There's well, apparently there's a lot we can learn about you. Uh, a new study shows <laughs> um, a study from Trending Machine National Poll finds that millennials aged 18 to 34 are, in fact, much more likely than those 55 or older to forget what day it is. Tuesday. I could see that. See, he just did it. Not even close. 15% versus 70 or versus 7%. 15% of millennials forget what day it is. Hmm. 7% of people 55 or older. I forget what day it is when we have Monday off. 14% of millennials forgot where they put their keys. Well, I can see that. 8% of 55 and older. Uh, those that forget to bring their lunch, 9% of millennials forget to bring their lunch versus 3%. Ben always 55 has and older. Ben has a Snickers. It's right over there. Those that yep, forget to take a shower. Breakfast. 6% of millennials wow. forget to shower. See, I didn't forget to take a shower. I made a conscious decision not to take to a shower. To ignore my thought that I ought to take a shower versus 2%. So generally speaking, two-fifths or 39% of Americans have forgotten, misplaced, or at least at least one thing every day in the past week. The hmm. only thing this that 55 and older are significantly more likely to forget, names. It's the only thing. Well, that's rude. <sighs> so, hmm. so the problem is we've got millennials that can't remember anything. That's, that's the takeaway, yeah. They have more stress, apparently. Stress often leads to forgetfulness. How do they have more depression, stress? Depression, poor judgment. Well, because they have degrees they can't use. They can't afford to pay their debt back. They have to live with their parents. There's people that went to college when I went to college that graduated with degrees they couldn't get jobs with, and they had debt. Yeah. But it's different How's nowadays. It, why is it different? I, that's the one thing I've never understood. People had debt. People still were trying to find money to pay well, for college when I was I, there. I know, but when you were there and you came out, there was, there was a healthier economy for a few years. Okay. Then these guys jumped into the bad economy and supposedly were digging out of the bad economy. ADHD diagnoses are higher in this group, age group. Okay, I don't believe maybe diagnoses, but I don't think it's changed. Hmm. I would think so. And this all leads to forgetting what day of the week it is? Also remember, this is the generation raised on phones, raised with technology, raised with a screen in front of their face. It says right on my phone, Friday, May 20th, right there. That's why they do it, because you couldn't remember it otherwise. Just saying. Oh, wow. Just saying. So we figured it out, Ben. We, we, we now know what's going on with you. Anyway, we love you, millennials. But you got to start focusing. Yeah, come on. Remember the day of the week, at least. you got to remember. Do the bare minimum. Come on. We, uh, you remember my name, and I'll remember what day of the week it is. I remember your name because I walk in and go, oh, Ben's here again. Is Ben still here? That's how I remember. He questioned my genuine excitement at seeing him this morning when I walked in the Did studio. Did he really? I went, Ben, I'm so happy to see you. And he was like, "Yeah, well, you, yeah. why? Well, it's because. <laughs> What's <yeah>. going on? Because <laughs> I need you to fix this thing that you didn't do yesterday. He goes, I can't tell when you guys are making fun of me and when you're genuinely showing emotion. And I go, well. Ben, we do love you. Usually. It doesn't seem like we do, but we really do. Uh, okay. And we're grateful that HR is working as hard as they are to help you. Well, I Genuinely. think they're about to give up is the thing. No, they're so. not. They can't give up. They can get even. We'll take a break, folks. And uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking with um, a new 
the director of a new program at the University of Utah called Lassonde Entrepreneur Institute. It's an institute that's driving tech and creativity among the freshmen at the University of Utah. You get to go live in this environment where it's all about creativity and making your dreams come true. It's a pretty cool uh, new way of learning. It also is going to help us understand a little bit more about the tech boom and maybe is there a bubble in the tech world? We'll be talking with Troy D'Ambrosio from the University of Utah's Lassonde Entrepreneur Institute. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, all-night cramming sessions, endless packages of top ramen, and rushing across campus for that 8 a.m. astronomy class. Do you remember all these things? The typical college experience. It was four years of studying, scrimping, waiting for, uh, you know, the day you graduate until you entered the real world. But uh, what if there was a way to get real-world experience while still in your college years? Just north of our studios here at uh, BYU Broadcasting up in Salt Lake City at the University of Utah, Lassonde Entrepreneur Institute is currently constructing studios that will offer students a unique experience. It's a dorm experience. The studios will allow 400 students the opportunity to live and exchange information with other entrepreneurs 24 hours a day. I think they're freshmen that get to do this and they'll be in dorms together they'll be eating together but they'll be creative entrepreneurial spirits working together to see if they can test their own ideas they'll be entering competitions there as well and mentored by faculty members joining us today is todd d'ambrosio who's the executive director of the lasonde entrepreneur institute and we're excited to, to learn about this new method of learning and entrepreneuring todd welcome to the matt townsend show Hi, it's Troy. Sorry about that. Sorry, Troy. Good, no, no problem. Good to have you here, though, Troy, because I was – there's a big issue that uh, I'm experiencing. I live in uh, just about 20 minutes, Draper, Utah, south of where you are, about 30 minutes. And it's, it's, a, it's called um, the uh, Silicon Slopes is what it's becoming named as. Um, big tech companies are moving in, Adobe, eBay. I, and then all of a sudden I see – the University of Utah creatively finding a way to, to create this this uh, this entrepreneuring spirit. Tech companies are getting a bad name. Donald Trump himself even said there's a big tech tech bump bubble. All of uh, a lot of the the people that are investing in tech companies are worried that there might be a bubble. What's going on with technology? It's booming, which I'm sure is why you're doing this. Is it a safe future? Yeah, I, th- I think it's you know entrepreneurs have always had a, a- Way to navigate through uh, you know highs and lows of different uh, you know economic uh, environments, <clears throat> and you know even during the bubbles, uh, I was involved in the you know in the in the nineties and two thousands in the internet bubble of those days, and you know people come out of that. It's a, it's kind of a natural evolution of you know things get hot and and they get overfunded and then they pop and the survivors come out of it and uh, bigger stronger companies come out of it, and so I don't think it's natural. I don't know, you know, if it's a bubble. By nature of bubble, people don't see it, right? And right. So I think that people are actually talking about it now, and there's been a lot of talk about with the tech company yesterday uh, that said that their, you know, their investors say focus more on, uh, you know, profitability and expense control than it is on growth now. So I think, 
you know, boards and investors are kind of modulating back and, and focusing on fundamentals of, hmm. you know, it's not just growth for growth's sake, but, uh, grow, you know, grow the right way, grow profitably, uh, control your expenses and survive and build a strong rural business. So, but at the level that we operate with students, uh, you know, it's a different, a different environment and you hope some scale up to the, to kind of the kind of level that you worry about being a unicorn and being a bubble. So yeah. that's uh, where we're at. Well, Troy, I love what you're doing too, because it seems like this is not just, you know, to promote tech and entrepreneuring. It also seems like just a better way of, you know, integrating life and education. Talk to us about the Institute and, and what's, you know, what's the theory behind it? Yeah, thank you. And uh, so we've been around since 2002. Uh, we, you know, involved a lot of students in the in the years over uh, both working with faculty inventors to commercialize university technologies, but also uh, letting students take their ideas forward. And so we, you know, as we evolved the idea of how we could help students accelerate their ideas and learn from that and use that as a form for, uh, uh, you know, applying what they're learning in a classroom every day. And I think that's the important thing is, you said something earlier about, you know, normally it was go to college, go four years and then go get a job. We're now in an environment and, and an economy that says you got to come out with better skills. Right. And you got to come out with real world skills. And we're saying, don't wait, do it while you're in school, get real applied experience, taking out of the classroom what you're, you're learning and apply it that day. Don't wait till even a summer internship, let alone four years when you graduate. And we found that, that doing this in a, using, the entrepreneurial forum and, and starting businesses and creating ideas is a great way to do that and involve students. So it really ties closely with the educational mission. We're the applied side of the educational mission. And so we, we've been doing that for, you know, 10 years and, and looked at what else we could do to really enhance the educational experience and also accelerate uh, the ideas that were coming out of this uh, student population at the U. And we came up with this idea of the Lausanne Studios and uh, what it is is a, a 20,000 square foot innovation garage on the main floor. That's open to any student on campus 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So you don't have to live there to use that. It's got full fabrication facilities, 3D printers, sewing machines, Arduino boards. There's co-working space and there's even company launch space so that we can give a student company a space to operate out of while their students and still at wow. university so they don't have to leave. And then as you mentioned, there's a 400-bed residential community and it is, it's not just freshmen. It's uh, freshmen all the way to graduate students and it's students from any discipline on campus. Actually, this first cohort we have coming in August, we have over students from over 40 different academic disciplines that are going to be living in the building. And we think that's the secret uh, is mixing both age groups, but disciplines, people of different interests, and then compressing them and, and, you know, kind of compressing the creative density into this place that when you walk in there, you know that there are other creative people to do things, are there to do things that are there to help you, uh, and that you're, you're there to help them get better. And we think that that accelerates the ideas and moves them forward and, and, and also enhances the learning experience that students have while they're doing this. Great idea. Like, I, I just think of it create. I mean, everyone's going to go work in a company anyway with different ages, different, you know, job and roles and experiences and backgrounds. What and what if we throw them in early and, and actually have them create together and live together and and then have faculty overseeing it? So I guess faculty are also uh, in the innovation garage throughout the day. Correct. Yeah, we have faculty from you know uh, different disciplines. Our, our faculty from the David Eccles School of Business and our Entrepreneur and Strategy Department, but we have faculty from 
marketing and communications. We have faculty from our multidisciplinary design program from engineering disciplines, uh, all in there working with students. But we also have a huge uh, uh, number of community members in there. So people that come in and, and mentor students that provide do workshops for them uh, that may not fit into an academic discipline. So maybe an inter, a workshop on Internet of Things with how to use a Raspberry Pi uh, to develop a sensor technology. So uh, probably four or 500 members of the community that are involved with our program on an annual basis as well. So that's the other a very large component of it is that ability to build your network as a student while you're going to school and, and uh, you know, getting to know people and get, uh, having them see you and what you're capable of and you're not just a, a piece of paper and a resume. Oh, we're speaking with Troy D'Ambrosio from um, the uh, Lassonde Entrepreneur Institute at the University of Utah, and he's walking us through this this innovative incubator. Really, it sounds like it's an incubator mixed with an educational facility mixed with a creative like a tool center where you can go get all the tools you need to do your prototypes or whatever you need to to make something successful and then investors community is this have you heard of these anywhere else troy you know when uh, when we looked at a couple of years ago when we started planning this we we went about we went out all over the country and looked at both uh, places on campuses as well as off campuses and corporate spaces and we didn't find everything that combined all those things that you just mentioned particularly with the academic side and with a living community. And so we pulled elements and saw things that we liked, but we think we have an opportunity to really create something entirely unique on the campus that pulls these things together and ties them really closely with the educational mission of the university. And like you say, you know, you, you said, so we're, we're really the business laboratory, right? If you're yeah. in an engineering discipline, you know, you go to engineering, you go to class in engineering or science, and then you go to a lab, but where do you do the business component of that? And we're really the business laboratory on campus. And we think that becomes a really unique environment. And, you know, the, we always talk about, you know, fell already, fell fast, fell cheap, iterate and pivot. Well, by putting all those resources in, we've shortened the cycles for a student to be able to do that, to just try something, don't hesitate. It's okay if it doesn't work out, try it again and iterate. And by compressing the resources and bringing them in together, we've allowed students to, we're going to allow students to accelerate that process. Mm. Honestly, I just think of so many ideas I had. If I had just had maybe a tech guy that could have helped me push through on one. And we talked about BYU students that just created an app and then sell it for $100 million or whatever. It's, it's amazing what can be done today, but you, you do need, you need the mix. Um, we're speaking with Troy D'Ambrosio. We're going to take a break, come back, continue this discussion about the Lassonde Entrepreneur Institute up at the University of Utah. And also the impact it has potentially on the community. Utah's becoming a tech center, and uh, you wouldn't think that out of, you know, the Mormon colony Utah, right? You wouldn't think that that would just be so forward progressive tech, but um, it's interesting. And we wanted to to bring in a pro that's been uh, driving this innovation. We'll have more with Troy D'Ambrosio in just a minute. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking about uh, the tech startup kind of uh, incubation program that it, that exists. Um, they're really at almost every major university would have some type of business innovation 
you know, incubator to help small companies grow. The University of Utah has taken it to a completely different level with the Lassonde Entrepreneur Institute. Troy D'Ambrosio is joining us. He is the director of this institute, which basically is about, I think he said, about a 20,000 square foot innovation garage where you can basically get access to everything you need from sewing machines to um, to uh, 3D printers. And then everyone gathers. It's open to the entire university and people that are trying to entrepreneur that are trying to create ideas they gather together and they can talk they can figure out if they how to work together and they also have uh, 400 dorms there where people can also uh, from every walk of life from every age group from freshmen to seniors get to live together and uh, even maybe create businesses together troy d'ambrosio thank you again for being with us thanks for having me Matt. talk about like how how these these uh people connect in to each other. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen somebody that had a really good idea but had no technical ability to deliver it, or one that had the technical ability but had no sales ability. Is there a way that they that you actually mix them together or get them, you know, talking? Yeah, and then that's exactly one of the reasons we end up building the, the facility. You know, we've been operating this program for a while, and that's the, what you, the challenge you just mentioned is, is one of the things that is, is difficult to do. And we've done some things where we do regular meetup events, where we do a thing even called the classified ads, where we invite people in. They put their name on a board and say, this is something I need. And other people put things on hmm. and say, these are services I can offer, and just match them and literally physically match them. And we do that. But what we realize is that we don't we need to do that not just on a once a month basis, but we literally need to have that happen on a daily basis. Yeah. And so the library is not the place that that can happen, and the the classroom is not the place that that can happen. And so what we needed to do is a place that you could come in, Matt, and say, you mentioned, you know, I had this idea of, you know, how do I find it? Uh-huh. I'm going to put your name on a board and say, I'm Matt. I need help with programming, or I'm Matt, and I know how to put together a business plan or a video, uh, and I want to find a team, and and so. We need to create that where it happened more frequently and more organically and less structured. We still will do the structured things where we'll have specific meetup events, but we want a community that and we call it an intentional community where people walk in with the intent to do that. If you walk in the library and you see somebody at a table looking at a book, you don't walk up to them and say, hey, what are you doing, right? You don't interrupt them. But in this place, when you walk in and you see somebody building a, a robot, you walk in and say, that looks really <laughs> cool. Can I be part of that, right? Can I help you? Can I do something with you? And so we needed a, a physical place where that, that gathering could take place and that interaction could take place. And the several thousand students that we have already participating in entrepreneurial activities, we need a place where they could gather and just bump into each other hmm. and share, share ideas, share experiences on solving problems and, and uh, you know, interact in a way that they are not right now. I think that is. And I know a lot of the maybe the investors that are that would be up there and I can just see them almost licking their chops just because they're, I mean, some of these people have made great money and they've done their thing and now they just kind of want to, they want to give back and to go watch some guy run a robot. I bet their heads are spinning like, oh, we could do so much with that thing. <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's, uh, you know, one of the things that we invite the community in to see what the, the, you know, how creative students really can be, how much they can, how fast they can pro- progress. You mentioned that earlier that, you know, it's so much easier to start a business now and students get really great experience. And 
their idea may not go forward, but right. it's a great place to find talent, right? You get to see people, how they really interact, what they can really do, and that they've had experience doing the things that maybe uh, an investor, a, a VC, or a seed firm is looking for some talent for one of their portfolio companies, or maybe a large company. We just had a student that got a really great job at AT&T Innovations because of the experience that he had with us in the Institute and doing things around sensor technology, as I did, didn't move forward very quickly. But he had some real experience that he could talk about and got a better job that way. So we see ourselves as providing the talent pool to the tech companies and, and companies just in general here in, in Utah. That's part of what our mission is, is the Institute is to attract really smart people here, keep the really smart people in the state here, giving them incredible educational experience, and then have them go back out in the community and contribute either as great employees or starting their own company. Yeah. Does this – do you think there's going to be a day when Silicon Valley – I mean we hear of all of these different types of valleys or Silicon Slopes or Silicon – um, what have you? Do you think there will be a day where Silicon Valley will lose its power as kind of the tech center? But it's, it's hard to ever see that because it's huge. It's completely, yeah, it's just huge, and there's just a, a concentration of it. And but I think what you're seeing is places like Salt Lake and Boulder, and and you know, popping up because of just the cost of of. Uh, doing business in, in Northern California. Uh, and then also I think that it's just the ease of entries there, right? We do have one great aspect of here is the proximity to the Bay Area and, right. and Southern California. It's been a lot of people that have, you know, homes and, and residents in Park City and Deer Valley and places. And so there's a becoming a more and more tie where a one hour flight away from those places. And so that's lending some, some, uh, you know, some real, uh, meet to what's going on here and some real synergies between the two uh, kind of uh, tech centers. Yeah, I was reading an article in the Economic Times about this that you know the average, the median kind of uh, middle middle manager um, in engineering in Utah makes about one hundred and twenty thousand, and it's like seventy thousand more or so in the Silicon Valley. So why wouldn't you push things to less expensive areas to to kind of spread the growth? Yeah, and I think it's also that, you know, people, the lifestyle and, you know, um, cost of living in those areas is, is significantly higher, too. And so people want to live a, in in a better environment and a better lifestyle and less expensive, less intense. And we all know here that, you know, we see it all the time at the University of Utah, people that come from out of state come here to go to school fall in love with the community, fall in love with the, the recreational opportunities, and they stay here and they contribute to the to the community. I think you're seeing more and more of that. And, uh, you know, it just, it's much what blurred people to the Bay Area, you know, 20 and 30 and 40 years ago with the, the environment there. And it's just gotten really crowded and very expensive. It's such an interesting mix to me, just educationally, because it used to be we would send the kids to college to get the degree, and then they'd pretty much get most of their experience in their internships and their job. Um, this almost is a mix, it seems like, because it's where you get you get uh, the benefit of the fraternity kind of feeling because you're in this you're in this social. You called it uh, what you call it a really intentional community. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you get uh, the benefit of the academics that can help you. But uh, a little bit of the trade work because you could actually get your hands in and get dirty. So it reminds me a little bit of a tech, you know, school, uh, trade school, um, but then also a launching incubator. It's it, it, is this the future of 
education and could it also be used in other areas? It seems like med school or people that are in the health services would be seriously benefit, benefited by having their own version of this. So I, I think it, I think it is. I mean, why, you know, with the, the shift in the ability to these, you know, online courses and things that you like Coursera and things that you can do a lot of the didactic learning, you know, online and consume it when you want to. What's the reason to physically come to the university, right? And I mentioned that you know that interaction between people when people are trying to find a mechanical engineer, or a marketing person, a design person, that becomes the you know, the, the impetus to actually be in a physical spot and to gather in a place. And so maybe you're seeing a shift in a lot of the work we do, the classroom work we do online on our own, but we come and apply it. And they call this thing the classroom flip is kind of one of those things that's been discussed out there. But I do think it is the way education is going to be taught. Uh, we actually have a Center for Medical Innovation at the University of Utah that we is similar to what we're doing in the Lausanne Studios, but on a smaller scale with just concentration on healthcare for bioengineering students and medical school mm. students to, to build and fabricate ideas and move their ideas forward. And we're partnered with the, the center there. And uh, so I think you're starting to see that. And, I, you know, we you mentioned in the era that I went to school, you went to the university, maybe you did some internships during the summer, maybe you just worked some, you know, kind of menial summer jobs. And then after four years, an employer said, well, you went to the university, you got a degree, it shows you can be educated, we're going to retrain you. Right. Employers aren't doing that now, right? They, You need to come out better prepared to go to work for them. And so you need both that academic learning and the theory and, and the skills the degree give you, but then you need to show how you can apply it. And, and you know, and so we want to give you a, a four-year internship with us at the University of Utah to hone those skills and build those skills so you come out with a better a better set of uh, skills and get a better job, not just a better job, but the job you want to yeah. as a student. Well, and more, I'd be more loyal to the university, right? The university gave me everything I needed or more of what I needed instead of just a certificate that then I had to go relearn everything. Yeah, I think that's where we're seeing a shift in what universities and higher education is doing. We're, we're certainly uh, trying to do that at the University of Utah. And Troy, before I let you go, uh, as a father of six kids, five boys that all need to make money someday, and my daughter's already the biggest entrepreneur in the family, um, what should I be teaching my kids to get them ready to come in and be and be of that spirit of you know the intentional community, but also a constant learner and to to go make a dream come true. Yeah, I, I think that that's a great question. It's, you know, that just let them be endlessly curious, right? I mean, let them try things. I mean, you know, too, too many times we stifle kids and say, "Don't do that. Don't color outside of the lines." Right? Let them do things. And there's so many things that you know. There's coding camps now, and there's simple things that they can do online. There's, you know, you can buy a set of Raspberry Pis and just let them experiment and play, right? I mean, that's that's a lot of what the mentality of what we're doing there is just, you know, let them play, let them try. Don't don't worry about it being structured in the outcome. It's the process of learning. And you're going to have to learn continually throughout your life, particularly in this, you know, the cycles of, uh, you know, the economy and the products and things are changing so quickly that you're going to have to be very adaptable, very flexible going forward. And Matt, before one thing before we go, and thank yeah. you for having me today. Is our program, uh, the Lausanne Institute, we're actually a part of the bigger network in the state with the higher education system: BYU, Westminster, UVU, uh, uh, USU, all of the state and public and private schools. We actually, as that an entrepreneurial community at the student level, work and collaborate very closely hmm. together. So it's not. We've always been the attitude, and all of our, the people at the different universities about building a community, not a rivalry between different universities. And I think that I appreciate you having me yeah. today, but I didn't want to yeah. didn't want to skip over and compliment and thanks my partners down at the Rollins Center. 
Center and what they do and got a phenomenal program there. And there's a real community of entrepreneurs and, and the universities really, really cooperate closely to help students and, and build our community. So I wanted to make sure Thank you. Uh, we got that in today. No, that's great. And and again, I guess that's probably one of the reasons Utah is doing so well with tech. If if our universities are integrating like that and talking and working to, to further the the entrepreneuring of these students. It's incredible. Troy, we appreciate you. Troy D'Ambrosio from the University of Utah's Lassonde Entrepreneur Institute. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Matt. Have a great day. You too. Keep up the great work. How cool is that? That is, uh, I would have killed for that. I still would. <laughs> I see so many ex- exciting ideas where just the left hand doesn't have a right hand. And if we could just have two hands come together, We might make something pretty powerful. Stick with us, folks. We'll take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to teach you how to talk like Trump. Well, we are not. Leanna Tan is. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. If you've been paying attention to the campaign at all, you know that Donald Trump is a very, very rich man. Not to mention he's very smart and has a lot of friends. So how does he do it? One of our producers, Leanna Tan, discovered some of Trump's secrets. And uh, she's going to tell us how we can all become a little more like Donald Trump. To go off on a tangent, but I was reading this article on the Harvard Business Review called The Power of Talk Who Gets Heard and Why? And it says, Everything that is said must be said in a certain way, in a certain tone of voice, at a certain rate of speed, and with a certain degree of loudness, and with certain word choice, I might add. It talks about this CEO of a major corporation who approves or denies people's proposals within five minutes based on one factor, confidence. Huh. Well, when I think of confidence, there is definitely somebody that comes to my mind. The one and only Donald Trump. And we will make America great again. He's definitely being heard now, right? I'm sure you're all dying to climb the ladder of success, so don't worry. Today, I'm going to teach you how to speak like Donald Trump in five easy steps based on an article by Tom King on Esquire.com. The first one is very simple. All you have to do is mention China at least once in your sentence. China. 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 And the word huge must be pronounced without the H. New Hampshire has a huge heroin problem. Got that? Okay. Number two. Remember to say very or really multiple times to make your point very, very clear. I have like a very, very high aptitude and intelligence and I have an amazing vocabulary. All right. Now that you have the basics, let's spice it up a little. Number three, if someone is rich or important in any way, be sure to call them your friend, even if you've never spoken to them in your life. That's like Muhammad Ali. He was a friend of mine. Michael Jackson was actually a very good friend of mine. Tom Brady is a very good friend of mine. Bob Kraft, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, they're like great friends of mine. Ted Cruz is a friend of mine. Chris Christie's a friend of mine. Carl Icahn is a friend of mine. I like Oprah. She's a friend of mine. Howard's a friend of mine. I remember Tim Russett very well. He's a friend of mine. And if you can't think of anyone rich or important enough off the cuff, just make one up. 
You're never too old to have imaginary friends. Okay, now pay attention. This next one is very crucial. Number four, always use random large numbers to prove a point and be sure to avoid giving exact details. She's killed hundreds of thousands of people. We're up by 50% and even more than that. You're talking about millions of people. Based on what I've learned over the last two, three days from very top lawyers, Putin said very nice things about me. Yeah, that last one can be a little tricky. It takes practice to master the art of avoiding questions, but you'll get it. And lastly, just remember number five. To any statement, you must add the simple phrase, believe me, to change your listener's previous perception of you and add credibility to anything you say. And believe me, that's why I'm going to be elected president, folks. And we will work to dismantle that reach. Believe me, believe me, believe me. He may be the worst thing to ever happen to Israel. Believe me, believe me. When I'm president, believe me, that will end and it'll end soon. Believe me, believe me. Oh, believe me. So next time you face that CEO of a major corporation, just use these very, very simple steps and say, Leanna Tan taught me these and she is my very good friend. I'm telling you, bajillions of people will love you and you'll be a huge success. Believe me. Well, I'm Leanna Tan and that's my little tangent. Oh yeah, I forgot. China. I came in like a Leanna killed it. It's true, though, right? I mean, that's his language style. So Donald's my friend. Believe me. He's a huge man. He's impacting billions and billions and billions of very, 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 very important people. If you want to continue celebrating Trump, yeah, there's a website called Trump Tendo. Oh, really? Someone has taken old Nintendo games like Mike Tyson's Punch-Out and put Donald Trump in there. So uh, I was playing <laughs> that the other day. You start out... Now, usually the game you start out with... Flacco Joe. Uh, it's uh, Glass-Eyed... Oh, glass, 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 glass Jaw. Jaw Joe. Joe, something like that. Yeah. But he... Uh, they call it Joe Biden. They just changed the name to Joe Biden. So you fight Joe in the first oh, round and then you move yeah. on through. And the last one, instead of Tyson, it's it's Trump. <laughs> you have to fight. You have to fight Trump. But there's also... Uh, Super Bernie Bros. Oh wow! So instead yeah. of Mario Brothers, it's Super Bernie Bros. There's uh, video games for the politicians. Yeah, so they rename a bunch of them. One of them, uh, there's Donkey Kong, and they made it Trump. So he's actually the face <laughs> Donkey. of Donkey Kong. And then there's there's a game called Bomberman, and they called it ISIS Bomberman. So that doesn't really cool. have politics, but yeah, it's no. there. So if you go to um, if you go to TrumpTendo.com. T-R-U-M-P-T-E-N-D-O dot com. You can play the games. Trumptendo.com. Right there in your browser. Cool stuff. Tons of fun. Plus, just keep listening here, and we will educate you. We really need to now do a story on Hillary and how to speak like Hillary. And that'll get – everyone will think it's, you know, Will that be as, is, Will that be as funny? No, it won't I don't be. Know. We'll do We're, something on very, Hillary. Yeah, we'll find something else for Hillary. Stick with us, folks. we got a great hour next hour. We're going to be talking about all the leader you can be, some, some uh, science of achieving extraordinary executive presence, how to be a good leader. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. 
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, top of the morning to you. It's Friday. And you know what that means? Tomorrow's Saturday. I don't know why I love that. No, I do know why I love it, because I have no obligations tomorrow. Just get to be a dad, be a family man. You say it every week like my it's, lawn. A, it's a new thing. Like, well, no, but every uh, not every Saturday I get off. Last night, hmm. Thursday, what was Thursday? I had to speak. So you don't even know what day it is. I know. I actually do. You're criticizing Ben. I started I out saying it's Friday, if you all remember. Oh, okay. uh, but Sorry. I one of the things <laughs> I sometimes I speak on the weekends. Yes. Or sometimes I have to teach Sunday school in church, and I don't have to do that. So it's really just a, a real weekend of rest. Well. Except my wife will have me weeding. Mm. By the way, we grow the best weeds. Do you really? Yes. I've got this green thumb. For weeds. For weeds. Yeah. I can't grow anything else, but I kill it when it comes to Weedville. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Today, by the way, pizza party day. Yeah. We're not Where, doing that. Where's no. the pizza? Well, we're not. You, gonna, you we're brought not, the Coke, but we don't. Yeah, it's, we're not doing it's that. It's more of a suggestion than an observance. Here's the deal. So you know I've been measuring my sleep. Okay. I, oh, I turned on my app to turn off my sleep. They were It was watching me as I sleep. It just watches over me. It's like a mother just taking care of its baby. Mm. That's it, creepy. But it's Go an ahead. app. And I, I have to stop it when I wake up. And then it tells me what percentage of sleep I got. Today, highest percentage of sleep I think ever, 97% sleep. Mm. That's, feel, that's some good sleep. I feel rested. I feel rejuvenated. My head is clear, even though I only had like seven, six and a half hours of sleep. But 97% of the time when I was sleeping, I was getting good sleep. Do you suppose it's just like a placebo thing where it tells you that you're sleeping well? No, I do not suppose that. That's why I'm saying it this way because I think it's the greatest thing in the world. So it, it you're, totally caught, you're caught in the But here's what I learned. Of it. This is what I learned. Two days before, I got 75% hmm. effectiveness in my sleep. Know what the difference is? What's that? The number. My food. The number, see? Nothing gets <laughs> by this kid. It, what, the number is different. Exactly. But what's different is that night I got 75%. I had pizza at 7.30 to 8 o'clock at night. Okay. This night, last night... I didn't eat. I had one cookie after six. Mm. So you were starving is what you're saying. But I really wasn't hungry. But I did not want to – I was starving. I was hungry. But I didn't want to go eat because I knew it would keep me awake. Hmm. So see, this little app is teaching me. It's teaching me. To starve yourself. Well, no, to not eat oh, after a certain time. I missed the lesson. Because I get 97% better sleep. <laughs> yeah, so you guys – So sorry. how does it track your sleep though? Well, you have to – you strap it to your head. Your phone. Your phone, which is weird because it's plugged in. So it's kind of like, no. You take the device, you turn it on, and then you just put it. Uh, I, I just slide it right under my pillow. Is it your phone? Mm-hmm. That's the device. It's okay. the app. Yeah. The, the, turn on the app on my phone. Slide it And it just magically tells you how well you slept? Actually, yeah. It'll even record. There's motion sensors in the phone. Come on. This is common. Th- you, know, you know the game so you, it, and you sound play the sensors. games. So when I move, oh, it moves and it can see It can see if I'm moving a lot. It can see if I'm moving a little. So it checks if you're restless. It can see if I stand up. 
you walked around at uh, 3.30 mm-hmm. in the morning. It actually, you'll see the little interruption. Like if you have to have a bathroom break in the middle of the night, a little interruption there of your sleep. Sometimes I can't even go back to sleep and then I'll just get on my phone. Then it knows I'm just mm. surfing. But um, that's kind of rare. But anyway, I just I'm, I don't know why I'm telling you that. I just want you to know that it was a good story. Don't eat after six. Right. I eat at like nine, eight thirty, nine o'clock almost every night. Goodness gracious! I yeah. ate at ten thirty last night. There you go. Well, tell me this doesn't explain it. <laughs> explain what? Just... I feel perfectly rested. No, you you sleep during every show. That's supplementary. <laughs> Whatever. Hey, today we're going to be talking uh, with Suzanne Bates about being all the leader you can be, the science of achieving extraordinary executive presence, how to be a present leader. It's pretty cool. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But first, let's get to Terry underslept, overeating at night, Terry South find out what's going on in the headlines. Thanks, Matt. Asked directly on Thursday afternoon if Donald Trump is qualified to be president of the United States, Hillary Clinton said, no, I do not. In an interview with CNN, Clinton laid out various factors such as temperament and general knowledge of the issues to make the case that her likely general election opponent does not pass a baseline of qualifications for the highest office in the country. Wow. There you go. But she said it. She said it. She also said, you know, maybe Bernie Sanders could be my vice president. Did we'll she get, say that? We'll get to that later. Sort of. They're, they're drawing a, no, they're just an inference. No, they're just trying to calm yeah. the herd. San Francisco's police chief resigned Thursday at the request of the mayor hours after an officer fatally shot a young black woman driving a stolen car. It's kind of the end of a uh, several racially charged incidents in the past year that he's been having to deal with, the police chief. Pressure has been mounting for the resignation of Chief Greg Sura since December when five officers fatally shot a young man carrying a, a young black man carrying a knife. Mayor Ed Lee stood behind the chief then, and after it was disclosed in April the three officers had exchanged racist text messages, the mayor said Thursday that the changes weren't coming fast enough and that he asked for the and received the police chief's resignation. About 50 students at a high school in Arizona have been accused of tampering with grades and what the school district superintendent called the largest cheating ring in the school at the school in recent memory. The majority of the 50 implicated uh, students at Tucson Magnet High School are seniors, and they will not be allowed to walk at graduation next week. All the students implicated in the grade-changing scheme will have to retake their required coursework to earn credit for it. The school district investigation found that a few students had learned a t- password and then began charging fees to manipulate grades for other students they turned it into a business they became entrepreneurs themselves smart the district that's uh, horrible yeah so cheating your that's way on. part of a highway overpass collapsed in oklahoma city thursday but amazingly no one was injured in the incident according to the city's fire department a truck hit the bridge and caused a portion of it to fall but oh, miraculously wow. the bridge didn't fall on anything nobody was passing under it that's american construction right there well or bad infrastructure that we've talked about on the show before that needs to be fixed, but oh. nobody in Congress is brave enough to collapse. do it. It did, though. The whole thing just collapsed oh, oh. on the road. Well, after a truck hit it. Yeah. The travel was uh, shut down in both directions as crews cleaned up hydraulic fluid from the truck. Oh, and then bad news. What? For some. Yeah. According to unofficial sources originally quoted in the Daily Mail, Daniel Craig's days as the fictional espionage. Spymaster James Bond might be over. What? Sources say the actor has declined to reprise his role in James Bond in future installments of the franchise, despite being offered the equivalent of almost $100 million to star in the next two films. Really? 
Daniel is done, pure and simple, one L.A. film source says, adding that Craig had told people that the last movie, Spectre, would be his final performance after the movie finished shooting, though production company MGM hoped a lucrative offer might lure him back. Wow. Apparently that's not the case. Um, $100 million Yes. For two movies. Two movies. And he said no. There was a point in 2015, I believe, that they asked him, would you want to do another movie? And he mentioned something about slitting his wrists. Yeah, I remember that. I think there's kind of a negative sort of feeling well, to that. Well, maybe he was so. having a bad day. Maybe. I don't know. Why would – what What would he rather go do? Maybe anything else. He has uh, – uh, there was a fight scene he did in one of the last couple movies, knocked his tooth out. He he strained a knee and had to sit yeah. out for several months. It's kind of a physically demanding role. Oh, sure. And he's getting older. But you maybe also he just get does, to kiss these beautiful women. Maybe he just doesn't want to deal with it anymore. You get to change the world and, and shut down spy rings. It's kind of a hassle, you know. Isn't, I mean, it, isn't it three months of work, four months of work? Well, no, because you do the movie and then you have to do all the publicity right. for it. And so then you have all these interviews. Now, granted, you're getting paid a lot of money, but you could kind of see where that would get kind of taxing. Yeah. And maybe maybe you want to do something else instead yeah. of being this character all the May, time. Well, maybe he wants to, you know, start a bed and breakfast in Vermont. Who knows? Hey, he's Who he's knows? made an appearance in Star Wars. So. He has. He wore one of the Stormtrooper well, helmets. No, but isn't that just making a movie? He'll just go make a movie, right? Sure. But he'll he won't make fifty million a movie. Maybe there's just too much stress yeah, involved it. with it. It he probably just, is. He wants a better level of quality of life. Well, let me just put it out there because it seems obvious to no, everybody. No, no. If you need a bond, no, no. I'm right here. No. What do you mean, no? You don't fit. You have to be English. I can fake it. Not very well. Hello. Hello. Actually, one guy they're looking at is possibly the guy that plays Loki in the Marvel movies. Oh, goodness. Here we go. <laughs> I was you, like, I you don't somehow know. had to bring a Marvel movie into this? Yeah. Actually, two, actually, two characters from the Marvel movies are being looked at for a James Bond. I want to do the Bond thing because I want a Jaguar. Yeah, that won't be you. I want a Jaguar. He drives an Austin Martin. Well, I know. Yeah, he? I'm yes. surprised you didn't know that, Matt. What are you doing? I, well, I don't care. I want to drive a Jaguar. <laughs> We're changing the car. Is it an Austin Martin? Yeah. He's got sweet. Austin Martin. Is it an Austin? Um, Austin. What's the guy's name? Uh, huh? Who's, who's <laughs> the spy from um, – who's the spy that's the fake joke about Austin Powers? Powers. Okay. <laughs> is, like, it, is it an Austin Powers? No. It's an Aston Martin? Yes. Yeah. Not a lot. <laughs> I'd rather have a Jaguar. But I think I when you think about it, just don't think about the the voice. I can get the voice down. Give me I mean I'll mm-hmm. get the I'll get sure. the accent. Right. Maybe Daniel Craig can Craig can voice over your mm. your lines. Well, he would but you to. can act. I'm an actor, totally. And uh ripped. Mm. My pants. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well. You guys don't even give me credit, but I've lost many pounds of weight. Four or five. And I'm about ready to start doing push-ups and sit-ups. Oh, wow. It's a big year for you. I keep having my, – my head keeps saying, you got to do some push-ups and sit-ups. And then my – the better part of my head says, no. Nah. Why start now? You've gotten this far in life without them. Yeah. Why start? Hey, uh, if, let me just give you some advice. If you need a good lawyer, you need a lawyer like this guy. A Russian lawyer was caught on camera eating an important document to help his client. The lawyer, who has not been named, was studying papers in the office of a judge relating to a client. It's flat. 
who had been accused of causing an accident while drinking and driving. He is seen picking up a breathalyzer report revealing the level of alcohol in his client's blood. The lawyer first stashes at the evidence in his bag, but then appears to have a second thought and takes it out again and nearly puts it in his pocket before ultimately deciding to put it in his mouth and start chewing on it. Hmm. That is a great lawyer. Seems like a rational thing to do. Local media say he managed to eliminate the most important piece of evidence in the case while the judge and her secretary were out of the office. Huh. When the judge's secretary returned, the lawyer told her the report was missing and that without it, there was no evidence against his client. Innovative. Yep. The stunned secretary started to look for the missing report. <laughs> Excuse me. Then she called for the guard, <laughs> suspecting the lawyer had uh, stolen the evidence. A police spokesman said the lawyer's guilt cannot be denied when you look at the closed circuit TV. There you go. That is a great lawyer. That's defense you can't even – you can't buy that level of defense. No, you can't. You know, where he will eat – literally right. eat the report and the evidence for you. It's and great. then, yeah, like anyone's going to ever see that report again. Well, and no. Just in a different form. I think – Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a great – but then remember that, lawyers. There's always a video camera. There's always a camera. When you think there isn't a camera, there's a camera. Is that cheating or is that just eating? Maybe he was just hungry. That's crazy. Yeah, he just. I, he's like, I, I, I better take that. He puts I, it in his. I bag. saw the video. They had it on the story. He just jammed the whole paper Let's in his post mouth. That video. And, Let's because I want. I I appreciate lawyers, and I want them to see what not to do. So we were obviously being facetious there. Do not do that. Don't eat your client's evidence because some evidence isn't edible, right? Don't eat it. Yeah, bullets, guns. Don't do that. We are going to take a break, and uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about leadership, all the leader you can be, uh, interesting content coming up, learning about um, the science of achieving extraordinary executive presence, how to be a leader that's there. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You'll know it when you see it. You know, that rare combination of qualities that make a truly great leader. Like, think about it. Who do you know out there that is somebody that you would just follow anywhere? A true leader. They might have uh, what our next guest calls executive presence. It's been hard to define, even harder to develop. But after years of extensive research, executive coach and best-selling author Suzanne Bates and her team have identified the 15 traits you need to be all the leader you can be. Whether you're t- you know, taking on a new executive position or facing new and exciting challenges, trying to build a better and stronger team, or just you know, developing the leaders within your organization, this book, uh, All the Leader You Can Be, has all the guidance you'll ever need to, uh, to become and achieve extraordinary executive presence. Suzanne Bates joins us now. Suzanne, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. It's great to be with you, Matt. Thanks so much. You bet. Great to have you. This, this is an interesting idea. You call it executive presence. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, what we mean by that is the ability of the leader to engage, align, inspire, and move people to take action. 
And how we arrived at that definition is kind of an interesting story. Uh, you know, like you said, for years, executive presence has been talked about, but people have never really been able to define it. When we would go into companies and talk to CEOs and leaders, and we'd say, well, what do you mean by executive presence? They'd say, well, I'm not sure, but we know it when we see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we wanted to take that mystery out of it uh, because it is a big X factor in leadership. So we did a, a very extensive uh, look at research in, a, in many disciplines from leadership and management to psychology and what's called social action theory, communication theory. We even looked at philosophy and ethics because we wanted to build character hmm. into the model. It's such an important part of how we influence and make an impact. So that we, we took a long way around to create a short but I think powerful definition of not just what it is but why it would matter to a leader. It's really about how you influence others to do the right things and get things done. Yeah, you need you need to get them on board, right? You need to enroll people, but you also need to, I guess, understand them as you're going because things are going to change figure out and learn. You've got to be a learning kind of leader. I guess it's a lot of traits, which is why it's – I guess it's so elusive to us. You you came up with 15 different um, traits. Walk us through what, what uh, are some of your findings in your book. Yeah. Well, one of the things we found is that character really matters, and it matters in building trust and goodwill. So when we talk about character, we're talking about qualities like authenticity, being real and genuine and transparent with others being the real deal, you know, somebody people can connect with, integrity, which is, by the way, not just uh, the kind of upright moral integrity that, of course, we want to see in any leader, but it's also behavioral integrity. And, you know, I'm not a psychologist either, but it's a very simple concept to explain. Do we do what we say we're going to do? Do we follow through on our commitments? Um, and then there are other qualities like concern and restraint, just being kind of uh, you know, calm and reasonable with people, and humility, which is talked about a lot in leadership. So character is really important. It's the foundation, if you will, for building trust and getting the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, absolutely. And again, yeah. it's something we don't seem to – I mean, I guess we teach it, but we don't teach it really as a business competency usually. Well, sometimes what happens is what we feel we need to do is in conflict with – uh, what we know to be right. And sometimes and unintentionally, one of the things, re, one of the reasons we have an assessment for this is because we all have blind spots. You know, I might be canceling my one-on-ones with my direct reports, and I might assume they understand that I'm flying around the world or that I'm busy or I'm trying to land a deal, whatever it is. But the way they may be experiencing that is very different as a lack of concern or interest in them, uh, not uh, taking time to not only, you know, get updated, but, uh, you know, uh, um, understand where they want to go in their careers. It, they may see it as a lack of integrity, again, back to that behavioral integrity, doing what we say we'll do, meeting our commitments. So part of the reason for having a science-based model and an assessment is just to make it easier for leaders to understand how other people perceive hmm. their actions and to be able to course correct so that they have the right impact on all of the people who are important to helping them be successful and helping their companies be successful. Yeah, the interpretation, isn't it? Uh, it's interesting because if I would lead with character where where I can read my people better and understand that I probably need to call these three people. Maybe I can text this person and tell them I won't be able to do the reviews this week. Um, but knowing the ones you need to call and then actually calling them, that character would probably – wouldn't it eventually teach these people 
that I'm working with that same kind of level of attention and character. You're modeling the behavior. Yeah, you're going to hand it down. Organization, that's right. And you know, we can't. You know, it's like when your parents used to say, "Do what I say, not what I do." It doesn't right. work. Right? No. It doesn't work in business either. And you know, you raised another aspect of executive presence that's connected to these things. That's on the style side. So when we talk about style, a lot of people think of appearance, how you show up you know, what you wear, your professional image. And that, that does matter. We included appearance in the model as looking the part of an able leader and executive and adapting our dress to the environment. But in addition to that, we looked at qualities like what you mentioned, which is interactivity, the ability to uh, communicate effectively in the right way at the right time with the right people, to make it less stiff, more more uh, di- more. Uh, conversational, I guess is the right word, yeah. uh, and coordinate action. So we may have the best of intentions and integrity, but if we're not communicating those intentions through our interactivity and our inclusiveness, actively involving the right people at the right time, uh, keeping everything on track, uh, inviting dissenting views without maybe stifling uh, you know, what people are really saying or what they need to say, those aspects of style, um, if, they're, if they're not addressed, can affect how people see our substance or our character. You know what? Because they read it, don't they? People can see it in you. Well, they can. I mean, uh, you know, the, 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 I think the most interesting thing that I have found in the 17 years that we've been working with senior executives and global companies is everyone has the best of intentions. But what happens is very often we, begun, we, we rely on Uh, qualities and behaviors that have gotten us this far. So, for example, uh, you know, I haven't talked about substance, qualities like confidence and vision and practical wisdom. A lot of leaders come up through organizations or are successful entrepreneurs because they they have a vision, right? They have a picture of what could be. And because they have the ability, what we call practical wisdom, to get to the heart of the matter. They, they have good judgment. Uh, they can produce a prudent decision. And they have the confidence to make timely decisions, to take action. They accept responsibility for those actions. They are willing to take risks. So those are great qualities in a leader. And you'd say, wow, that leader's got everything it takes. However, what we found in our research is that those, that, those kind of driving qualities will only take you so far. And that what we really need today, especially in a global, uh, you know, competitive business environment where we're trying to attract and retain talent, where we need to engage and inspire people, we need to also develop the social-emotional qualities of executive presence, like resonance, being able to connect with other people, read the room, you know, be attentive to what people are thinking and feeling. So the best leaders, the reason I called it all the leader you can be, is because at every stage in our development, our journey as a leader, we realize that the qualities that we're relying on are great, but they may not be all it takes to be all the leader we can be. Mm. You know what? Okay, let's do this. I want to take a break and have us come back because as you were just describing that, uh, it seems like it might be what we're seeing in our presidential uh, you know, nominees, I guess, the, our, our presumptive, you know, presidential f- finalists or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. And I want you to walk us through that because it's one thing to be able to get results, but you also have to get people to trust you 
and to That's like right. you and to but you have to be emotionally intelligent, socially and emotionally intelligent, and you might be, but still be abrasive and Anyway, we're going to continue this discussion with Suzanne Bates and uh, be talking about her book, All the Leader You Can Be, The Science of Achieving Extraordinary Executive Presence. Stick with us, folks, helping us understand life and leadership. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on the program to uh, inform you to get to the, the great thought leaders in here and get them sharing their ideas, their their information. Today, Susan Bates joins us, talking to us about her book, All the Leader You Can Be, The Science of Achieving Extraordinary Executive Presence. And uh, it, it really is, to me, um, it, it's about becoming the best leader you can be. You can find out more information about it at Bates-Communications.com. Bates-Communications.com. Uh, we welcome you back, Suzanne. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Matt. Great stuff. Okay, I need your help. Um, so we've got these leaders, uh, Donald Trump, one of them, and Hillary Clinton, one of them. Talk to us about what you see in them that would show that they have executive leadership and presence. Um and and what you would coach them on? Little curveball yeah, well, for you. I just thought yeah, of this. Great question. Yeah, and there's a lot there. Look, I think that 2016 has been the year of authenticity. We didn't mention Bernie Sanders yet. Yeah. No. And also but, throw Bernie in the in the mix. Yeah, because we have to. Because part of the rise of these populist uh, type of candidates is that people are connecting with them on an emotional level. There, those two candidates in my view, are regarded as real and genuine and transparent, and who you see is, is, is who you get. Mm-hmm. Uh, their, their passions are real, and they believe in what they say. And uh, that's, I think, one of the reasons Hillary Clinton has had trouble uh, capturing the nomination or at least capturing the hearts and minds of all the Democratic Party. And who would have ever thought that that, that the Democrats would be in such disarray at this point in the election cycle? So those two candidates have been able to rise on that. And also um, because um, different from Hillary Clinton, um, they are lower in composure and restraint. So you don't have to be real high in all the qualities of presence to be effective Right in generating and inspiring hearts and minds, they're two guys who uh, are show their emotions. So they're right? high, and that I guess that makes them seem, or it makes them more authentic. They seem more real to us. That's exactly right, and I think this is a, this election is a lot more about how we connect with these people as leaders than it is about policy. Hmm. Clearly, right, because Donald Trump's all over the map on policy, but right. people. The people who like him and are voting for him trust him. Hillary Clinton um, does have some qualities of executive presence that would have, in another year, been standout. Yeah, obvious, she yeah. She also has some deficits, right? So she's getting hit on integrity. Right. She's getting hit on uh, 
you know, some of the other qualities. I think vision is another one that people are struggling to see. You know, what is her vision? She's a policy person, but what's her vision? When Donald Trump says, make America great again, you get it. Right. But you can't say there's a slogan there for Hillary Clinton. So her uh, her deficits in executive presence or her lower what would probably be lower rated for her are higher rated for these other two candidates. Um, she's actually very composed. There isn't a crisis that she's ever met that she doesn't ha- have a smile on her face exactly. and say everything's going to be all right. And that's a quality you want in a right. leader. And those who support Hillary Clinton, I think, really like that about her. Um, in you know, confidence is another. Uh, you know, that's a given. I think really for all three of the candidates. So there are some similarities. I mean, you can't run for president if you don't have confidence. Oh yeah. Is right. it? So, this seems like it really is an interesting um, exercise this year because it, it people want change, and it's almost like if I can't believe you're authentic, then I won't believe you'll change. Well, that's right because they they want change and they want to believe that the leader is going to get to Washington and make that change. Yeah. So it's been you know discussed and discussed that what people are disappointed in is they send people to Washington and nothing changes and nothing gets done, and there's a lack of recognition. I think uh, many voters feel there's a lack of recognition uh, about. Uh, policies that are not working. I mean, that's why trade has emerged Mm -hmm. as an issue in this election. It sounded like a good idea, but people are taking a second look. So the voters are taking a second look at these issues. And uh, leaders uh, and candidates like Trump and Bernie Sanders are putting the issues on the table. And so people are saying, well, this makes sense, but how can I trust the leaders in Washington are going to make a change. And I think that's why they're also connecting with the emotion and the passion hmm. of those two candidates. Wow. Talk about uh, – because to me, all of a sudden, I'm thinking the complexity that this brings where um, I might be authentic, but my views authentically aren't popular. And so if all of a sudden I have an unpopular idea and Donald Trump seems to believe things that aren't popular – Necessarily, they are popular with his people, but um, I, how do I balance character and authenticity, or do I just have to eventually be show my character and authenticity and be willing to not go with the flow? Well, you know, fundamentally, I think the leader who gets elected is going to be the one who people uh, believe is um, is truly passionate about their ideas. Um, you know, you could argue that Hillary Clinton is passionate about her ideas. She has changed her views on many issues, too, mm-hmm. as has Donald Trump. Yeah, everybody, yeah. The only one yeah. race who's never changed <laughs> is Bernie Sanders. That's so true. So, he's just and, that – he's the, he's the tortoise that just keeps plugging along. Yeah. You and, know, he's, and, and he's making he's it. in the race. Yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely. So I don't think it would be a mistake for any candidate for president – uh, to say things they don't believe in because people see through that. Mm-hmm. And the lesson, I think, for leaders is the same. Uh, you know, people know when you're speaking your truth, and you have to speak your truth. Uh, you know, you have to be uh, uh, somebody who's, who's willing to put it on the line and say, this is what I believe. 
But you also, in business, have to be the kind of leader who's willing to listen to others. And I think another reason that the, that the leaders in Washington today are getting hammered isn't just because they haven't executed. It's because they haven't listened to the people. Hmm. And that is a quality of humility, which is another uh, quality of character. Humility isn't just, you know, I know where I came from and, you know, I came from humble beginnings. Humility is showing awareness of our own strengths and weaknesses and openness to others' ideas and a belief that all other people have self-worth. I think what's happened is the insular uh, insularity of Washington, D.C. has put both Republican and Democratic elites out of touch with how the voters are thinking and feeling. Yeah, and I th- and we know that, right? Because they're not talking about what we're talking about. They're not they're not hearing. Again, everyone seems to keep underestimating the pain behind the Bernie Sanders movement or the pain behind what would push Trump to the top over 16 other people. People are just not or even the pain of the first female presidential candidate that is being, you know, berated for how she talks. I mean, we're missing the deeper issues, it seems like. Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's 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 a year when the voters um, have regained their voice. Mm-hmm. That's what's really happened here. And there are a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of people who, uh, you know, can look back historically at how uh, this all came about. I think it's probably been 20 or 30 years in the making. Uh, but here we are. We've arrived at a point where the voters have found their power, mm. and they're going to exercise it to send a message to Washington that uh, the elite leaders of both parties are going to have to listen to the voice of the people. Yeah, I love it. And, but it's also – it's telling us something and taking it just back to the average Joe. If I'm a guy running a department and my people are starting to rebel and I have my own little contingencies being formed, it's probably time to pull out the book, your book and start leadering up, start becoming the leader I need to be and start listening and learning these traits. Well, you know, Matt, it's so easy for us as leaders to, you know, we've got the whole picture, you know, so let's be kind to ourselves, right? We've got the picture, the enterprise picture. We know where we need to take an organization, and we're doing our very best every day. When there is um, disagreement, uh, or whether that's uh, quiet, uh, you know, the silent voice, silent majority, or whether that's open disagreement, we do need to understand it. We need to explore it. And the way we avoid getting to that point in the first place is through qualities of presence like inclusiveness. So if we're always actively involving other people and welcoming diverse points of view, people feel they have a voice. They feel they have ownership of the mission. They understand what the issues are. They understand how, you know, there are difficult choices that have to be made. And in the end, that empowers them to take initiative to get behind even what could be unpopular, um, you know, initiatives or or just to, to be helpful in meeting the challenges. What that requires of us as leaders, um, inclusiveness requires us to search our souls for humility, what do we have to learn from other people? How can we be open to others' ideas? How can we welcome them into the conversation? And that also requires us to be around, to be walking around, to be talking with people, to put ourselves in a position to hear, to notice, to be aware. And so that 
so that it doesn't rise to this point. And, you know, if we mm. go back to politics for a moment, um, there, it's just too long that leaders in Washington have made promises they didn't keep, haven't listened to, to the pain that the middle class is experiencing, and um, haven't been willing to address it in meaningful ways. They've created agendas that don't connect with what voters are worried about, what voters really care about. And as business leaders, we can avoid that, by exercising humility, by being inclusive, by making it a point to be interactive with everybody, uh, and also to welcome positive conflict, to create an environment where conflict is viewed as positive and where we all walk away with a better understanding of one another and how we can work together. Great. I mean, really, we need it. We need it. And I, I guess, too, your, your, the assumption or the premise is that it's learnable, it's teachable. Yes. One of my core beliefs as an executive coach uh, leading a firm of uh, coaches and consultants who work with, you know, really some of the top leaders in the world is that we can, not only can we all learn, we must learn. We're all on a journey. It's a leadership journey. And whatever age you are, whether you're starting out as a new manager, whether you're mid-career, or whether you're, uh, you know, in the last third or beyond of your life as a leader, there's always something to learn. We can always become better. And as we become better, our organizations become better and we create a better world. The mission of our firm is to help leaders shape the world. And I do believe that we can do that if we're intentional about becoming all the leader we can be. Yeah. Can when they can they come to your site and take the assessment? How does that work? Yeah, well, how it works is this: um, the assessment is something that you pay for as part of coaching or development. Uh, we have an executive presence mastery program, so you can take that course. You can uh, go through executive coaching, uh, and and we use it in our consulting work with organizations. Hmm. However, having said that. We do have a pre-assessment survey that you can take. Um, there's a website for the book for All the Leader You Can Be, and that website is alltheleaderbook.com. Okay. So if you go to alltheleaderbook.com, you'll see right there on the front page, you can click on the pre-assessment survey. And what it'll do is it'll ask you a few questions about what's your role, what are your responsibilities, what are some of the high-level challenges you're facing as a leader today. And what are your personal goals? How do you want to develop yourself? And then what we'll send you right away in your inbox is uh, a, a somewhat personalized report that shows you or highlights some of the qualities of executive presence that would be important to somebody in your role at this time. Hmm. So it's a good way to... In get introduced to the model, you'll get to see the whole model with all 15 qualities. And, you know, maybe it'll prompt your thinking yeah. about uh, your own leadership, how you think about yourself and how others view you as well. And then get the book and, and dig deeper and get coaching if you need the coaching as well. I, uh, I, think it's a, I think it's a great start and I appreciate you helping us also understand our own politicians. That's, well, that's a leg up. <laughs> now we can at least <laughs> figure out what's going on. Is it a character issue, a substance issue, a style issue? It's, yeah. it's, it's interesting stuff. Well, you know, I am one of those people who believes that America is such a great country that whoever is leading us um, will always be great. Uh, but it is a year of interesting choices for us to make as voters. And I think it's important for us to care about evaluating the, the quality of the character, substance, and style of these leaders and 
you know, looking into our own hearts and saying, uh, what is best for America? And what I hope is just that every, uh, every one of us as American citizens takes that responsibility seriously and goes to the poll with those things in mind. Yeah. No, good stuff. Well, we appreciate you and uh, this insight. Suzanne Bates and the author of the, is the author of the book, All the Leader You Can Be, The Science of Achieving Extraordinary Executive Presence. Thanks for being with us, Suzanne. Matt, thank you so much. Good luck to you. Thank and you. Good luck to all of your listeners. You too. Uh, interesting stuff. By the way, executive presence, wouldn't that be a great way to to kind of sort through this this year of presidents and uh, presidential candidates? Are they present? Is it a character issue, substance issue, style issue? All of the above? A lot to learn, folks. We'll take a break, come back, wrap up the second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Interesting insight from Suzanne about uh, Donald Trump and I mean, the deal is authentic versus consistent kind of a leadership trait. Hillary's going to bring consistency. Uh, Donald and um, the burn (laughs) bring uh, authenticity. So would you rather have an authentic, real person, passionate, or somebody that is less authentic but more consistent? It seems like in today's day and age, the fight is against the consistent. We're sick of people doing the same thing and never going anywhere. Right. So maybe this is the year when... And that's one of the criticisms against uh, Hillary Clinton yeah. is that she's just going to continue the Obama administration. Right. Well, and then, so then move on to passion. So people believe Donald is authentic or maybe more authentic than Hillary, but they don't believe he really believes half of what he says. So he then loses the authenticity. Mm-hmm. Bernard, the Bernster Sanders, he – Bernie believes he's passionate and he's authentic and he really is fairly consistent. <laughs> he hasn't changed. So if we were choosing a leader based on her criteria, it seems like Bernie's the man. Uh, he's also a socialist. But – you know, everyone's got a thing. I mean, everyone's got a, everyone's got an Achilles heel. <laughs> it's just interesting to take it through that level of thought. Let's uh, now. Earlier, we were talking about um, you know, cute Chris Christie, who always has to. By the way, I thought of him when she was talking about how you, if you're doing something that's not authentic, everyone can tell. Yes. So that, there's pictures of him standing behind Donald and his wife standing behind Donald and when Donald says something crazy and they look at like his eye, his wife rolling her eyes like you see Christy kind of like right. confused as to why he's standing there but he still stands behind Donald and Donald keeps taking you know shots at him even today and it's been kind of confusing I mean you endorsed him that's great but you endorse him but then it's is he holding out for the vice presidential shot and I don't know if that's going to happen doesn't seem there's been skits on Saturday Night Live that we've played yeah. where, where he's like suggesting it and Trump goes eh and then they move on to another candidate just things like that. <laughs> Last night there was a fundraiser. Okay, Trump was speaking and he, it's uh, he, he's able to talk about Chris Christie like this. 
We're going to make great deals for our country. Might be free, might not be free. I can tell you this. When Carrier and Ford and Nabisco leaving Chicago with their big plant, they're moving to Mexico. I'm not eating Oreos anymore. You know that. But neither is Chris. You're not eating Oreos anymore. No more Oreos for either of us. Don't feel bad for either of us. (laughs) Don't feel bad, Chris. You're fine. Don't eat Oreos. Even Chris isn't going to eat Oreos. Oh, wow. Trump makes a fat joke. Yeah. Chris Christie has to just kind of smile and roll with it. And the reason was Trump took to the stage after Chris Christie talked to the crowd and announced that at the event, the $200 per head fundraiser that attracted about 1,000 people, that it retired the bulk of Chris Christie's roughly $250,000 presidential campaign debt. Oh, wow. Trump, the headliner, shows up. All these people come in, pay the price, and they pay off Chris Christie's campaign debt. Wow. Chris Christie is going to take he'll, all the fat jokes he can take possibly joke. take. Yeah. Because <laughs> he had all that money is now off his table and he's uh, campaign debt free. And he'll still get a seat in the cabinet, I'm sure, of Donald Trump. Transportation. No. Yeah. Chris the, Christie's the all guy. about shutting down bridges. He's good at that. <laughs> you need a bridge shut down? Call Chris Christie. That's um, – he'll be the attorney general. There you go. Because he's worked at the, uh, the federal yeah. – uh, he was a, a prosecutor of like the big mafia dons, wasn't he? Right. I so, he, I mean, it's just it's funny. Trump makes, but a it joke, makes sense, but doesn't it? I was wondering why would you just at some point it's like there doesn't seem like Chris Christie's involved in the campaign. Right. Like he just sort of stands up there every once in a while, and it okay. This but is something does it not that was remind promised. you of like a fifth grade uh, class? presidency race where yeah. there's the there's the little kid that's a little overweight because he eats a lot of oreos but everyone loves him he really mm-hmm. is everyone loves him and then there's the bully guy and the bully guy's cracking jokes but the bully guy is the one that's going to win for president but nobody really likes him and then there's the cute guy that everyone likes and he won't win for president there you go but he will throw his weight behind <laughs> behind donald trump if he'll pay off his fifth grade debt <laughs> Interesting stuff. See, the, again, the insight you get only here on The Matt Johnson Show. Many people would have overlooked that story. Not us. We dig deep and sell it cheap. This is The Matt Johnson Show. We'll be right back. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. You're now entering the third hour of The Twilight Zone. We're here to help you get the information you need, the tools, ideas, just helping you live life and hopefully see the good in the world that's the goal of the show today we're going to be talking movies we will be doing a review of angry birds with rod gustafson from parent previews angry bird an angry birds an app turned movie probably going to make bazillions and bazillions of dollars they hope Mm. It's the second movie that they've made off the Angry Birds franchise. I mean, think about it. Just an Angry Bird. Yeah. That you throw through walls. Huge. I always question taking a game that's pretty basic mm-hmm. and then developing an entire story and characters and all this stuff behind it 
Like Battleship? Like Battleship. And it doesn't quite work usually. Right. There's usually kind of – it goes – it's too much of a leap because there's no story with the game. The game's fun because you want to just play it mindlessly or instead of following along with some fake story that they just made. It's kind of like the cat in the hat books when they turn those into movies. Well, there's a story there's with just, that. Yeah, but there's yeah, just so little you can work with. No, it's a cat it. in a hat that rhymes. What more do you need? It's so a perfect we'll, premise. There are only so many rhymes you can make with that. We'll see what Rod thinks about that coming up. That'll be fun. We'll talk to Rod about that. We'll also be talking with the producers um, in a Meet the Producers segment with the – they call themselves the petite producers. Hmm. I would feel weird just saying, hey, you guys are the petite producers. But they we also called them Lilo and Stitch. They didn't like that. That was the role they were playing. No. And remind me what we talked about because I was there for 10 minutes and I honestly I was trying can't to remember re- because they we laughed a lot. No. But it seems like I lost my head. We'll have to figure that out because we uh, I was trying to recover settings on a computer during the time. Remember oh, that's that true. Day? Yeah. Yeah, you were having a breakdown in there. I was like, my computer. But we always like to bring the producers on so that you can meet them. These are the people behind the scenes that are the ones finding all of our guests. And uh, it's always fun to have them – to allow them out of their – we put them in corrals and lock them in there while they work. Hmm. It's easier that way. You control them. Yeah. Just no, they're just sort of roaming the office. It's just, and getting in trouble. I mean yeah. do you remember when – yeah, we won't even get into what Ben was doing. But uh, – We'll, we'll, we'll talk with the producers. We also have got a little meet-up with our buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going to be on their show at the top of the hour. So we are locked and loaded along with headlines. Who better to give us the headlines than Terry South? Terry, what's going on? Thanks, Matt. Hillary Clinton didn't rule out Wednesday picking her Democratic presidential nominee challenger, Bernie Sanders, for serving as her vice president. In an interview with CNN, she says, I won't get into that when it was asked. So she didn't really say anything about it, but CNN ran with she didn't rule out him as a vice president when she just said no comment, basically. So, okay, news. Hmm. Um, she also declined to answer if Sanders was in consideration for the position, who was leading the increasingly divisive Democratic contest, that she didn't uh, completely shut down the possibility of him as her running mate. She said that's something for down the road. Yeah. So not a lot here. But it says a Gallup poll released today. Some 70% of Democrats say that the continuing campaign for the Democratic nomination is not hurting their party, even though that's what every, everyone... 70%. In, yeah. The, the leaders of the party, you're saying it's hurting the it's party. It's killing us. Well, But the members of the party are like, it's fine. I think it's killing Deborah Wasserman Schultz. Yes. The leader. She wants to turn and focus on something else, but right. instead Bernie's still there. Yeah, dude. Yeah. The number of pregnant women with the Zika virus in the, in the United States has more than tripled, increasing from 48 to 157, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention said today. It's unclear whether the increase is because there are more pregnant women with the virus or if officials are now keeping track of them in a different way or a combination of mm. the two. They didn't go into details, but the current number, 48, is now 157 with the Zika virus. Nine in ten Native Americans say they are not offended by the Washington Redskins name, according to a new, a new Washington Post poll that shows how few ordinary Indians have been persuaded by a national movement to change the football team's name. Wow, nine in ten. Nine out of ten. That's, say, not, that's amazing. I thought offended. it would be much higher. That's what we've been led to believe. The problem is this is one poll. All the other polls that have been done show that people don't like the name. People 
Native Americans? Native Americans okay. polled, don't like the name. So one poll is showing this, you know, 9 and 10 figure. So 90% are saying yeah. that the name's fine. Other polling shows differently. So Interesting. The survey of 504 people across every state and the and Washington, D.C. revealed that the minds of Native Americans, among the Native Americans, reached over a five-month period ending in April. More than 7 in 10 said they did not feel the word redskin was disrespectful to Indians. And even higher number, 8 in 10 said they would not be offended if a non-Native called them that name. See, they've been corrupted. Is that what it is? They've been corrupted. So that's This is where we start pushing our own sensitivities on other people. I mean, again, I I have uh, two or three friends in wheelchairs and I'm always worried about what I'm going to say and how you say it. And they are like, dude, I'm in a wheelchair. Right. I'm handicapped. Well, you can't. No, you. I call myself handicapped. Mm-hmm. But then the next person wouldn't call themselves that. So it's like you don't know what to say. But no. apparently we just need polls. Possibly. We need to just poll everybody. We have one uh, one opinion poll. We'll see what happens. <laughs> the Securities and Exchange Commission is filing a complaint against professional golfer Phil Mickelson, the three-time Masters winner, related to insider training. This uh, insider trading. This, according to the AP, uh, the SEC says gambler William Walters received tips and business information about Dean Foods Company from Thomas Davis, a former head of Dean Foods, between 2008 and 2012. The SEC says Walters called Mickelson, who owed him money in 2012, and urged him to trade Dean Food stock. The SEC says Mickelson did so the next day, buying 240,000 shares and making a profit of $931,000. Hmm. He then used that money to pay back Walters, the IOU, a few months later. Mickelson's attorney told ESPN on Thursday that the golfer who hasn't been charged criminally has made a deal with the SEC that involves him returning all the money made from that trade what the SEC refers to as ill-gotten gains in the form of illicit trading profits. Wow. So, so someone got insider trading knowledge, yeah. and he goes, okay. Then he goes to Mickelson and goes, you owe me money. This will work. So he trades in the stock, gets the money, pays the guy back, and you can't do that. That's like money laundering. It basically kind of feels like it, yeah. Hey, Phil, I know you owe me money, and here's an illegal stock trade. Oops. So that now he's going to have to pay a fee, Not a sure. fine? Not sure. He's, he's worked out a deal is what it says. Good. And uh, passengers on a flight from the Dominican Republic to Montreal, Canada last month were in for a terrifying surprise when it was discovered that two tarantulas were loose on the, in the cabin. Ooh, it wow. sounds like a horror movie plot, but in fact it was real. Apparently the flight attendants on the air transit plane did what they could to calm the people down as the eight-legged critters crawled all, all over the cabin. The passengers, of course, did what any sane people would do in such a situation, stood on their seats and screamed. <laughs> At one point, the the pilot oh, the man. pilots like put on your shoes, cover your ankles with blankets. You'll be okay. <laughs> and one woman had a tarantula crawling up her leg and oh. went nuts. And, yeah, oh. it'd be kind of kind of tense. It'd be a yeah. tense flight. That would be that's like the you know the snake at the garden store. That's just not good. Not good. That's gonna ruin your day. Hey, um, we already talked about the fact that millennials can't remember as much as fifty five year olds. Right. Which is sad. I don't think that's what it said. It was specifically days. Once again, remember, he doesn't remember. Yeah, he's already forgotten. Point proven. Um, Thank you. You made that easy. He I'll, demonstrated the story. Good job. I, I think you need this one more than me. So uh, according to researchers, listen to this one. If you're a Twitter follower, you need to um, act quickly if you want to win an argument on Twitter. Yes. So it's pretty much the first to hit 
is going to win. You got to hit. You got to hit hard. Boom, boom, boom. That's how you win an argument on Twitter. Is that why all arguments will quickly, if they go long, they go far enough, they will end up comparing something to Hitler? Right. Yeah. They have to get it's the Hitler defense. They, they, they have to get inflamed quickly to win. <laughs> so you go straight to Hitler yeah. and you're done. Well, okay. see, and you think about it. If you hit hard and you have a smart hit in your first bit, then that thing will have time to spread first and fast. Before you can defend or come with a, a nice comeback, it's already lost because the time right. is gone. Which and- is why Donald tweets in a robe. That that makes sense because I, I always wondered how cat videos were equated to Hitler so fast. See that? Yeah. That's what happens. It's because they have that little patch of dark hair right over the cat's lip. Duh. You got to be careful. If your argument ends there, yeah. it's just, not a good place. Just so don't make do the that. rule. Don't invoke Hitler in no. any comparison. No, it's just or a, Nazis. It's not comparable. It's not a not a good place to, to end your argument. It, it, it's, it's kind of easy to go there because what can you reply to that? Right. You can't. Yeah. You can't reply. It's just. Um, do you guys wash your face? Yes. Nope. <laughs> what? <laughs> don't ask. Don't ask. Don't ask. Okay. Um, I just read something. Dr. Terrence Keeney, a dermatologist working with Dove Men Plus Care. You know, mm. This is kind of a little advertisement. Mm. Talks about the, fa- the face that his male patients wash their face twice a day. Um, wash – hold on. Recommends his fa- males wash their face twice a day. And um, when you wash your face, the soap or cleanser that you're using not only strips away the oil and sweat and the natural lipids in the skin mm. – so it also could be potentially irritating. But apparently men aren't washing their faces nearly enough. Interesting. We need to wash – listen, Ben. Ben, honestly, we shouldn't bring this up. We shouldn't have to bring this up. You need to wash every day. OK. Repeat it from the beginning. You're still sharpening a pencil? Yeah. Okay. I, I think this is important. OK. So write this down. Shower, shave, and shine every day. Okay. Deodorant. Deodorant. Okay. Under both arms. Okay. And that's the stick one, right? Sure. Okay. But up, down, up, down, up, down. Let's, in your case, maybe eight times per arm, underarm. What if you wash your face with like, I don't know, lava soap? What? You ever use lava soap? No. It's an industrial like hand cleaner type thing. It's got pumice in the soap, so when you you're scrubbing your hands, it'll get all the grease and things out. What if you use something like that? Um, that's a that's probably going to destroy you. Oh, you'll just be uh, bleeding. You'll be clean. Yeah. No. What don't, is it? Don't wash your face more than once a day, and don't or more than twice a day, according to the expert. But in your case, Ben. Wash your face every day. Can you use dish soap, dish soap to wash your face? Mm. Um, you can. You know what? Don't use dish soap. Okay. Use um, detergent. Mm. Detergent. Okay, I'm going to write that down. Get some spring fresh scent. That's better too. Okay, Cascade. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Cascade's great. Use some fabric softener after to do you give want, you a nice bounce. Do you want water spots on your face after? Because <laughs> if you don't, you'll need to. You'll have it. You have to put in the anti-water spot stuff. Okay. 
Make sure well, it smells lemony too. Okay, tell me what you guys think tomorrow. If there's any difference in smell and and actually, we won't look. be here tomorrow. Oh but, yeah, that's true. But do it Monday. Monday. Do it Sunday. Yeah, do it Monday morning. Okay, we're here to help. Man finds a grenade. Yeah, that was uh, while doing yard work. Scary story. The bomb squad responded to the Richmond home after a resident found a grenade while doing yard work. Always, always clear the toys and the grenades out of the yard before you mow. It's, 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 a, it's a pro tip. Joe Priester said he discovered the grenade around 2.30 while axing ivy near the bottom of a tree. Wow. He said he actually hit the grenade a couple of times with the axe. <laughs> I know I'm not supposed to touch a bomb and stuff, but I didn't know until I had it in my hand. And I saw the pin was on it. So I said the best thing to do was to get it as far away as I can from anybody else and then call it in. <laughs> so I didn't think about it. But, but I was in shock, said Priester. <laughs> Police and bomb squad responded to the home. When law enforcement officials arrived, they determined the grenade was most likely live and had, a, and had been diffused. No, yeah, it doesn't. The sentence isn't finished. Here. So it was probably it was live, and then they live went and, and diffused, then they it. diffused it. A yeah, live grenade. So again, when you are doing any yard work, check for grenades. I, I usually take caution when I'm using some sort of implement and I see something. I'm not sure what it is. I usually try not to hit it. Yeah. Just out of caution. I look down and try to make sure. But, I mean, it doesn't look like a bomb with, like, a clock on it and, like, wires coming out of it. Yeah, but the grenade has the – there's a specific there's, there's shape a and a, a yeah. look to it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Hey. I might, made... I might, like, take the – whatever, like, the shovel or something I have and kind of move it a little bit, but you I'm not going to hit it. Not me. I'd say, son. <laughs> Grab your kid. I'd say, Ben, I'll pay you 50 bucks to come do my yard work. There's this thing I need you to remove. <laughs> Can you, I don't know what it is. See that little black thing? That looks like a pineapple. <laughs> go over it. <laughs> you just go bring that over here. Crazy, man. That's why I don't do yard work. You're going to die. Anyway, could be worse. The guy survived. That's great news. We will, uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we got to go visit uh, and talk about this, this new movie coming out, Angry Birds. Who'd have thunk? A little video game turning into a real full-fledged movie. Stick with us. Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews will be joining us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, it's Friday, which means it's time to go to the movies. Who better to help us with that than Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. He's a film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective. I love it because he'll go through the movie and then he gives you talking points, what to talk to your kids about, what to watch out for, if you should even maybe be taking your kids to certain movies. Today, uh, we're going to be talking Angry Birds. Rod, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, Matt. Thank you. Great to be here. Good to have you back. Angry Birds, you know, went from a video game or just a game on my phone to, uh, I guess, a mega million dollar franchise. It absolutely has. Well, yeah. And what they're hoping to do is exactly that. It's not quite the big franchise they want it to be yet. Hmm. But 
you can tell that this is this is strategic marketing, as they say in the industry. Mattis, I watch this movie. I think that that's really what this is all about. The story, believe me, is very secondary to the marketing that's going on. <laughs> that's not a good sign. No, that's not a good sign. It really isn't. So the story, talk about it. How do you make a story about a bunch of video game angry birds that have to be thrown through buildings? Well, okay, so Angry Birds did live on my iPhone for a very short while, a few years back, because I wanted to see what all the all the fuss was about. And uh, many elements of the game are within this movie. We have these birds that are really, they're kind of like little weapons in various forms, and they most of them explode or they have some sort of destructive capability. And one day, within the movie, they, of course, they have to have some little bit of a story. So they're all living on this very Id- idyllic island where everybody's happy except for the one bird whose name is Red. And uh, he's the iconic Red Bird that you see. <laughs> okay, Red- yeah. Birds. And then one day, this boat pulls up on the shore, and these green pigs appear. And these green pigs want to, essentially, what they're wanting to do is, is move in, and they're not really sure what their intentions are. Well, anybody who's played the game knows what their intentions are. They are there to steal the birds' eggs. But within the scope of the movie story... That means they're stealing the children. They're stealing their unborn children, which actually presents a surprisingly dark scenario when you really (laughs) start thinking about it. Right. Red is the one, he's the grumpiest bird on the island. Well, there's him and a couple of other birds, and they've actually been sent to group therapy to try and control their anger. (laughs) And so they are constantly being looked at as the birds that don't fit in with the other happy birds. But as these pigs appear, Red is convinced he doesn't want to have anything to do with them, and he does not like the fact that the rest of the people on the island are welcoming them with open arms and and they are saying, oh, it's okay, these green pigs are different than us, but we should still welcome them. Which means now we're starting to get into some xenophobia issues and that type of thing as huh. well with this wow. very simple little movie. So yeah, it kind of it kind of branches into some areas that I think may be a little confusing to kids and a little confusing to parents as well. Weird. And, I mean, it's got some name brand uh, actors in it, right? Jason Sudakis is in there. Josh Gad. This is... On Penn. Yeah. It's got the talent. Yes, it does. And um, what's interesting about this movie, now, uh, most video game movies, what happens is somebody in Hollywood goes from a studio, they go and they contact the game makers or whoever's got rights to the game, they license the rights, they hire their own screenwriters to make the movie. This one's done the other way around. The guys that made the game really wanted to create the movie. And uh, they were approached by the same guy, David Maisel is his name. He's the same guy that approached Marvel a few years back and said, hey, let's make an Iron Man movie. We will do it with under your terms. You guys make the movie. And then what he does is he built up Marvel to the point where Disney just couldn't resist buying it for $4 billion. Well, he's hoping to do the same thing with this little brand. Hmm. He's hoping that this movie will spawn a franchise and many other things will come from it. And then eventually we'll have a huge new brand that's going to be, you know, hopefully bought up by some movie, by some movie studio. 
looking at this first film, though, you know, it just really, um, yeah, there's really hardly any story here at all. And the bottom half of the movie is they finally get into the attack position, so to speak, and it's all about the birds bombing the pigs. And it really is like playing a video game. It's like watching your buddy play a video game. <laughs> you don't have any control over it, but you just sit there and watch the action. Wow. <laughs> I think I do that enough just watching my kids. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. What grades did you put on this? Well, it's C plus overall on this one, which means it's falling below our recommended line. First of all, moms and dads, you know what? Money, I'm sure money's tight in most of your homes. There are far better movies. This one, you could easily wait for the home video. But even then, obviously, violence is an issue in this film. But I was also surprised at the amount of scatological humor. Hmm. And that's really what they rely on to try and get their young audience to laugh. And then they've got some very adult jokes in here. There's even a reference to Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh. Oh, wow. A few things going on in this movie to try and keep the adults awake in the audience. And, you know, it just comes off like scrambled eggs. Ha, ha, ha. There you go. <laughs> A little Angry Birds <laughs> joke at the very end. Well, we appreciate it, Rod. I mean, it's great. It's a great, uh, it's great insight. Now I know I won't be seeing it. Yeah, yeah. My Better kids will, I'm go- sure. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll have to walk them through that. Well, we appreciate it, and uh, have a great weekend, Rod. And again, everybody, go to parentpreviews dot com. Really, it's filled with so many wonderful resources for you as a parent that you can go dig deep into some of these other movies, other movies that you may not have even remembered came out. Go back, look through their archives, and uh, maybe it's time to pull up a good DVD. So we, uh, we're going to take a break and come back. When we come back, our producers will be with us. Leanna and uh, Caitlin will be doing the producer segment. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Thank you, Rodney. Welcome back, friends. Joining me in studio, two of our producers. They like me to call them the petite producers. We like to call them Lilo and Stitch, Thomas I'm and Lilo. Tan. I am not Stitch. You're Stitch. <laughs> yeah, you are. And uh, Caitlin Thomas, Leanna Tan are joining us to talk about a problem that they've both been battling here while, while away at school. Pack rats. Uh, it's, wow. It's easy to become a pack rat. Right. No, we want to talk about Pat Rack Day because it was National Pat Rack Day on May 17th, so is, just a couple days ago. Is it Pack Rat or Pat Rack? Pack Rat. Pack Rat. Exactly. Did pack I say rat it wrong? Day. Yeah, you did, but that's okay. <laughs> pack Rat Day. Pack Rat. <laughs> so, so you guys, you, I mean, I've been to your desk. I've seen your desk. It's, it's I don't even have. stuffed with stuff. <laughs> Are you Pack Rats? No, we actually wanted to talk about it because we've seen your hordes of expired food in your, <laughs> in your office. Yeah. You trying to give us all that go-gurt. No, but really, when we were looking at the calendar, this holiday caught our attention, and we thought... Why? I Why? think all of us, I think all of us, like, we all there have are like, some sort of issue with hoarding in some small way, but hoarding is truly a mental disease. Yeah, so talk about hoarding, not? because yeah. a lot of people just think it's a television show. Right. Uh, yeah, but it's, it can whatever. be more serious than that. I was looking on Psychology Today to look at the psychological, um, 
you know, background of this. And the definition is that hoarding is a reflection of anxiety raised to the fever pitch of obsession and compulsion. Hmm. It pathologically capitalizes on the virtue of saving and involves objects most, most others deem worthless or useless. And it says there are two million compulsive hoarders in the United States for whom the impulse to collect and save has gone dangerously awry. Wow. So it's so, anxiety kind of magnified. Magnified yeah. in one, like in yeah, focused in on inanimate one objects. Area, yeah. And like, I think there's a lot of different reasons why people hoard or like just keep stuff, you know. And another article says that people hoard because they believe an item will be useful or valuable in the future or they feel it has sentimental value, is unique and irreplaceable or too big a bargain to throw away. They may also consider an item a reminder that will jog their memory, thinking hmm. that without it, they won't remember an important person or event. Or because they can't decide where something belongs, it's better just to keep it. Right. So I found some things that people have some really strange things that people have collected or hoarded. Um, like you mean like food that's a year old? Yeah, that's you. So like you and yeah, your go-gurts. It's my desk because I put Actually, it in my desk drawer and I never open that exactly. desk drawer. Exactly. Matt hoards mirrors, uh, signs of himself, uh-huh. lots of picture frames of himself. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. It's totally weird, isn't it? Very that weird. weird. Really I don't know if it's hoarding. I just I think I'd take a killer picture. Um, Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. Okay, well, you come in close. You come in a close second to these people. Okay. This is the well, one lady collects peel off labels found on supermarket bananas and has nearly eight thousand of them. She goes to this. Wow. She goes to the supermarket up to twenty five. Uh, 25 different supermarkets each week. Each and sometimes week. she just like buys the bananas and then she like she just peels the them off and then throws and then the bananas away. Yeah, and then she gives the bananas <laughs> back, back to the clerk. To clerk. <laughs> Holy cow. That's a problem. Right? Yeah. Okay. Or this this lady, she's from Seattle. She has she has filled her entire basement with more than 5,000 rubber, rubber bath, bath ducks. <laughs> Why? Well, that's the thing. There's not really a why behind no, this. No, right? there is there. That's There's a why. I mean, why not fill it with real ducks? Oh. She her, the whole oh. entire basement of her condo houses these birds. I think like mm. collecting animals is a whole different category. That's she might true. have a sentimental attachment to. Yeah. The I mean, animal, who doesn't? Who but doesn't she can't love, keep an like animal alive. Like a rubber alive. ducky, yeah. Right, it's like a pet, but maybe it's not good, maybe real. this goes back to her childhood when she was in her bathtub with a rubber ducky. Yeah, I think we. I think we all do this. I mean, what did, I mean, what did you, you keep saying? We all do this. Well, Matt, I, didn't you collect things as a kid? What did you collect when you I, were? A kid? I collected matchbox cars. Oh. In See? my little matchbox car case. And why did you collect those? Because I was a kid and I would play with them. Okay. When I was a kid, then, I then collected – Then my kids ruined them. I had two collections. I had a Pokemon card collection. Yeah. Oh, wow. You know, and oh, it was yeah. in a binder and everything, which I should have kept because it really would be worth a lot of money yeah, it now. now. You could be rich. I also had a quarter collection. I was trying to get, you know, one quarter from every state. Yeah. Did you – we bought our kid that collection. It was like a big calendar. You could stick quarters in mm-hmm. the states. Yeah. I collected snow globes. Yeah, those. But see, yeah. that's not this is that's not hoarding. Yeah, that's, that's just a collection. Collecting. But I think I do hoard some things. I was looking through it, and you know, National Pat Rack Day. It's actually so that you can go through your life and see if you have any pat pat pack rat t- tendencies. tendencies, and you want to get rid of those. Right. I realize I hoard emails. I have like mm-hmm. over definitely over a thousand emails in my inbox, just because I just don't think wow. like I click on it and I don't think of deleting it i just think of like well, oh you it's, push it's you're like now. i may need to date him later yeah like all those like <laughs> you know invitations yeah. to date i got you i've noticed you also hoard uh post-it notes okay i mean a lot of people would like 
just once they're done with the post-it note, <laughs> put it in your phone, do something with it, throw it away. But you seem to keep everyone. I like the handwriting. Yours. Like everyone's, you know, you, when you write me a note, I need to save that yeah. handwriting. Have I written you a note? <laughs> I've written you one note. Yeah, usually they're just like guests I need to contact. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, I take them as, you know, love from a boss, you know. <laughs> but I, wow. I do commit. I collect like – I think I hoard little mementos like that because I'm a journal, big journal writer. So I collect mm-hmm. little like tokens from like uh, when I go out someplace, like a ticket yeah, or like – that's cool. Fortune cookies. How I many journals do you have? A lot. So you you have you have hoarded a lot of journals. Yeah, but I don't think that's hoarding. I think those are very useful. That's, that's what like they say. Well, see, history. see, here's yeah. the thing, though. Tell that to I spent therapist. I spent a couple months living in a third world country, and they live very simple lives. Right. And they're still very happy. They don't have to keep all of these. Not that keeping mementos and things like that are bad, but we're just talking about summertime. We're talking about getting rid of things. Cleaning out. You don't need. They, they're very happy and they live very simply. We live yeah. very complicated lives and I think that's because we make it complicated by holding on to things that we probably well, don't need. Well, we spend need. a lot of money on stuff and then we buy more stuff and right. then we need a storage unit for our well, stuff. Well, we have these huge houses and we feel sure. the need to to – Fill it. Fill every space. Speak for yourself. But this thing is telling us that we can get rid of old magazines. How many old magazines are just sitting around your house? Oh, a lot. Exactly. Get rid of them. Um, Food. Go through your pantry. There's probably tons of cans of food that you don't need that you can give away. If anybody needs to give food away, even if it's expired, Leanna Tan. Right. She'll take it. I'll take it. I will take it. 855-CHAT-BYU. We'll go through, get you Leanna's number. Yeah, go through your, I will eat anything. Go through your closets. <laughs> Leanna will eat anything. That's true. <laughs> your gut is a hoarding. Yeah. Unit. Oh, my gosh. But the thing is it goes to good use because it gives me energy. Yeah. I take it away from your home. She does a lot and of I've things. never good, seen a happier person. Exactly. It makes me One, happy to eat food go-gurt. and not waste it. And she's your best friend for yeah. life. Now she won't leave Matt alone. I know. He it's regrets it. And that, that Gogurt wasn't even mine. A. Found it. But it you was still old. Gave it, to her. it was warm. It was like from it was three what? days. It was what? It was warm. <laughs> it was warm. This is so gross. Warm. Okay, warm. let's get back to warm. You two, you two are going warm. on a tangent. Warm. That's my you last know what name. Else? You know what else Tam. we can get rid of? Old or unused electronics. I, my family, Ugh. I have a drawer full of this at my I house. Too. We have a hoarding problem. There are organizations where you can donate your old smartphones or just your old flip phones yeah. from when you were younger. And How many smartphones can you have? They'll either well, they'll repair Fifth the phones. First world problems here. Exactly. Yeah. So they'll take these phones and they'll either refurbish them and give them to people that need them, or they'll sell the stuff for parts. They'll and take help. the gold out of them. They have certain things in right. them. Right. They'll sell I will the parts. Also accept and then, your smartphone. We sh- this is not for you, <laughs> Leanne. We're talking about the poor people idea. in you third can, world countries. You can just countries. take it to like big uh, stores like. Um, well, I mean, gazelle.com, you can sell them. Nextworth.com, you can sell them. Or you can give them to organizations that will use well, the, the stuff to help Well, at the front of Office people. Max kind of stores like that, a lot of times they'll yeah, have – Yeah, they'll take them too. Or you can drop them off. Yeah. That's good. And a lot of times they'll they'll do it you know, because if you just throw your stuff away, sometimes it's not very healthy for, for the environment or, yeah. or for whatever. So you can find people that will put those things to good use. Um, jewelry, makeup and perfumes – yeah, medicines and vitamins that are expired. You Granted, what do you there, do there's with a those? process you to getting rid of your. You can't just flush those. Right, you, there's yeah, a process. What do you do with those? I have. Um, <clears throat> there's actually, <laughs> I know a lot of police. Like if you go to your local police station, they will take your old medications for you mm-hmm. and get rid of them the proper way. Oh, interesting. So that they're away from. 
being used. And if you flush them, then they end up in, being in our system, in our water system. Yeah. So oh, that, don't, don't do that. That's not Drinking okay. medicated water. Mm-hmm. But you can also mm-hmm. go through your book, your bookshelves, and get rid of books that you haven't read in a long time. Which is hard to do. It is hard because a lot, a lot of, of times those are sentimental, show. but you can donate those to local literacy centers or libraries. <laughs> yeah. You guys keep getting books from the show, yeah. and then I interview the people, and I've never read the book because I never knew we had a book. Oh, really? I, I, yeah. I see the books need to come to me, me so I can read them. You told me to you. told me to read them. Well, I, but I also need to read them for the guest. Just letting you know that. Quit hoarding the books. Well, you hoard airtime. Yeah. Well, it's the Matt Townsend well, show. that's true. Also, you have the longest show on BYU Radio, so I think yeah. you so hoard everyone's airtime. Mm-hmm. It's just why we're here, you know. Just Long hoarding. story short, Matt. Well, that's a great segment, you guys. We learned a lot. And yeah, we learned- we're just trying to help everybody simplify their lives a little bit this summer. See how you guys are. Get outside. Get active. Give yeah. away stuff you don't need. And if you have extra food, what's call the number? One eight five five chat BYU. Leanna Tan. Leanna Tan. That's for Leanna. That there you have it right there. Lilo and Stitch, also known as Thomas and Tan. What's up? Or the petite producers, as they like to be called. We're out. They're have out. Have a good weekend, everybody. Mic drop. Mic drop. Thanks, guys. Have a great one. We'll take a break. Come back. Be visiting with our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Jar of Hearts. We'll take a let's let's take a little break. Go down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's in their jar of hearts. Hi guys, welcome to the show. Kind of sounds like the cranberry. Obviously, Jerem's back. I'm here too. I oh, just, Spence, why didn't you sing? Uh, there's only yeah, room enough problem, Bob? on this. Uh, no, I get it. Audio you, platform you know for one of us to true. sing. Dueling We've been vibrato. A BYU Sports Nation musical for months. Can you name the artist? Uh, clearly, that is uh, Prince. <laughs> Who is dead? Let's say it rhymes with um, Bibina Blurry. <laughs> Christina Perry. Yes. She sang uh, A Thousand Years, that song, right? That is her. Yeah, okay. By the way, Spencer, the king of trivia, of, of, of music trivia. I am, I am the king of music trivia. And, and Jerem, the king of the vibrato, which is hard for many men to pull off uh, in, in a higher, um, in a higher, what's it called? Vo- uh, higher note. Uh, higher octave? Higher octave vibrato. You guys, I've missed you together. Now, now you're together. <laughs> Jerem hasn't missed work. He's enjoyed his days off thoroughly. Jer- well, we we uh, are fortunate <laughs> to have a great promotional team here at uh, Brigham. Yes. And uh, so we shot some commercials uh, yesterday. Really? Which was fun. So I wasn't completely off work. We were working. You were working and shooting commercials. Yeah, shooting commercials. Do you want to let us in on one of them? We've got to get yeah, more well, of that Jerem face out there, you know? Totally. Yeah, one was, uh, hey, that's what they asked, so I, I go, you know? Uh, I don't know who's asking, but uh, I went. Uh, we were at a pizza joint yesterday, mm. and then 
and uh, my lovely family and I went on a uh, hike. Wow. For, Sounds uh, like a good day. Yeah, it was fun. The the funny thing is there was a major storm uh, <laughs> yesterday that delayed the baseball game on BYU TV. Right before that delay, I came out of the canyon with my family and our crew uh, and got out of the way of that storm, luckily, literally by like five minutes. See, so you could have – it could have been catastrophic. It been, yes. It could have been amazing. Well, not not when you're carrying your kids out of a – Flood. I only have one. So uh, wow, that's easier. She did fall down on camera and start crying oh. for like five minutes. So that, that was awesome. So you had a big family <laughs> kind of shoot, a family moment. Yeah. Again, it's not big. It's just my wife and I. But, but it's hard, to, it's hard to calm a baby and then get her back on camera. She's almost three. I mean, I have so the same awesome. problem with my board operator. Yeah. I mean, everyone's got babies in their lives, and yeah. uh, you just manage them effectively. Hey, did you guys hear about uh, the worst plane ride ever? I uh, think we're about to. Dominican Republic to Montreal, okay, no. Canada. Do not – can I just give you some advice? Do not ever take the DR route to Montreal. <laughs> the Dominican Republic <laughs> nonstop to Montreal? Don't do it. Uh, <laughs> because on the flight, apparently two tarantulas were loose in the cabin. Oh. You know. And the, ca- the captain's not going to stop a flight for that. So he basically just – it sounds like a horror movie, obviously, but he said, hey, uh, you know, just just everybody calm down, you know, wrap some blankets around you. Good grief. You're They're fine. They're paging Samuel L. Jackson right now for the sequel to Snakes on a Plane. Can you Tarantula's imagine? on a plane. What would you do? You're, I mean, my wife would freak. Uh, in fact, we can't have any windows open in our house right now because spiders are coming in. So there, there's a it's hot. Uh, there's a uh, joke in the South. I think it's called kudzu. I'm trying to remember the name of the plant. Anyways, on the freeways outside of Atlanta, it grows really fast, Mm. and it kind of takes over trees and then kills them. So the joke was that in the Civil War, the kudzu, if you left your window open, that the kudzu would steal your baby in the night. Wow. True story. That sounds horrible. (laughs) It does. No wonder the South lost. And then I saw this in Atlanta one time, and I was like, oh, my gosh. It's like crazy vines, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. Watch out for the kudzu as well. Let me give you another one. Have you guys ever heard of gorilla snot? Uh, I don't want to hear about uh, gorilla snot. Well, let me tell you about it. Uh, Apparently, there's a lot of dust blowing on I-10 in Arizona. Mm. And there's a 60-mile closure because the dust just keeps blowing. There's too much dust. I believe the phenomenon is called a haboob. Pardon? I'm serious. That's what it's called. A haboob? Yes. (laughs) Let me write that down. You're welcome. Hub. I lived in the desert in Palm Springs. You on know. I, off of I-10. I experienced this. A haboob. Now, guess what? So they're going to fix it. They used to water it down, but the watering down doesn't work when it's like 100 degrees out there. Yeah. So they the company has made this thing called Gorilla Snot, and it's an eco-safe, biodegradable liquid copolymer that they spray on the dust to like suppress. Like Gorilla Glue. It's but, like Gorilla Glue. Yeah. But it's actually not made in a company. They've actually brought in about From 70 gorillas with hay fever. <laughs> it's horrible. And, Messy. Uh, yeah. Anyway, they're hiring at Soilworks if you guys need a job. <laughs> and they're hiring. <laughs> Just trying to keep you updated on all this stuff. Hey, it's Pizza Party Day, by the way. And it's also Be a Millionaire Day, something we know that on BYU Sports Nation you both enjoy. Pizza parties and millionaires. Hashtag Brigham. You know what day it was yesterday? What? They caught a this worldwide phenomenon on social media. What? I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to make you all look it up. 
That's quite the tease. Okay. You're just me. You, you guys tell me what's on your show, and then I'll go. I'll go look it up. Um, I'll go look up the. No, fl- it was a it was a ploy to set to sell nude colored clothing and shoes, and so it was hashtag send a nude day, and so everybody as a joke was sending pictures of nude colored high heels and wow. clothing, and I'm like, yeah, really? Nope, nope. Come on, when, man. What site were you on? What do you mean? What site was I on? I was on Twitter, and it's trending. And I'm like, this can't be real. I was I was on Twitter too, and I never saw that once. That was not getting awkward. They had a big story about it on CBS World News. Trying to make it more awkward. Yeah, that's all right. It's all right. (laughs) I just blew into the cult. I I I think it's better that we just talk about gorilla snot. If the CBS World News is covering it, I'm like, okay, yep, it's going to be okay. <laughs> It'll be fine. Hey, what uh, what's on your show today? You guys still gonna do your show and everything? Um, I mean, Jerem's back. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Jerem's uh, blowing hot air into the Mike Rucker. Nothing's changed. Nothing's Yesterday, changed. Mike Rucker got his eleventh win. Pitch for BYU. He's eleven and zero. So we discussed who had the best individual season on campus at BYU. He's tied, He's 11 for, number, and 0. tied wow. for number one in the entire NCAA. Tanner Mangum, Kyle Collinsworth, Ben Patch, Lexi Gray, Lexi Rydalch. Who is it? Right, mm. We'll discuss. Okay, we'll cool. also have Ului Lapuaho on the show. BYU football, our tour of the offensive line interviews continues. We had Tuni Kanuch on a little while ago. Yeah. Uh, they're really entertaining big dudes. How long do you practice those names? As soon as they get here, we try and yeah, we try. Seriously, those, yeah. say say them again. Those are incredible. Tuni Canuch, Ului Lapuaho. Man, uh, the BYU men's volleyball just signed a guy named named uh, Miki Yauhiainen. Yeah, wow. Yauhiainen. So that'll be fun for me. Miki Yauhiainen, and then uh, let's see who else on the football team. Uh, oh, in the past there was uh, Moses Kaumat Matu. Is it Kaumatule? Yeah, yeah. And then there's uh, Walter Kahaili'i. And then at Utah, there was a Chris Fuamatu Malafala. I mean, there's Ethan some great Manu Yes. Huge. That's great. Yes. And then there's, of course, Dan Smith. The Kalani Fafita Satake. <laughs> Dan Smith, the most famous. Uh, yeah. <laughs> from Key and Peele. Exactly. If you're from Pla- Key and if you watch video, Key and Peele, yeah. you understand. Dan Smith, BYU. <laughs> Classic. I, had, I knew a Dan Smith growing up. Well, who doesn't? Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, that sounds like a great show, guys. And yeah, it's plus- just. Plus, we'll update you on women's golf. They are on the course right now, Ooh. round one at the NCAA Regional or Championship. They played their third round yesterday to avoid Sunday play. It's become a huge national story. That's cool. Yeah. Living so their values. They, played, and they shot well. They played well. Yeah. They played on the course essentially with no other teams out there. I think there were some other teams practicing, but, yeah, they kind of had this solo round as a team. They're tied um, for a second right now, but oh, we're only about half an hour into the day. This is huge. <laughs> this is huge. All right, Kay, uh, and I appreciate that. Ha, Haboob and um, Kudzu, all Yo, these new words. Kudzu, were new. you're welcome. Yeah. Um, those are your new nicknames. The Haboob. The Haboob and Kudzu. That suit, it is, it's a weird phenomenon. I will take you over and I will destroy you quickly. <laughs> That's right. And, and your baby. <laughs> We'll your baby in the middle of it. All right, guys. Have a great show. Knock Thank him you. dead. See ya. See ya, guys. They got, you just got to sit still now, folks. Five more minutes, you get a whole hour of those two. Of kudzu and <laughs> Now it's only four minutes and 55 seconds. I know. Life is good. You are blessed. Hey, um, again, it is, you know, you want to be a millionaire. Today's the day to be a millionaire. I've decided I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a millionaire today. 
Uh, by the way, a village has been thrown into chaos after an engineering mix-up which left residents with their neighbors' phone numbers. UK phone company workers went to the village of Clifford's Mesn in Gloucestershire <laughs> after complaints that a cable was being damaged by rubbing against a tree. But after the work was finished last week, around 50 homes in the area were left with the wrong phone numbers, according to locals. The blunder, which has not yet been fixed, meant that anyone trying to get through to a villager would end up speaking to their neighbor instead, which honestly is a great way to get everyone together. People that hadn't talked for years in this great village in the UK, they're now calling each other. Well, thank you for calling me, Julie. (laughs) Oh, um, isn't this Stacy's house? No. So all of a sudden they're all talking to each other. It took a little while to work out, they said, but but now everybody knows whose phone number is whose. I guess that's the benefit of – it's funny to me that they all still have ground lines. I mean, you know, this probably wouldn't happen in a lot of cities around the country. Anyway, they're very grateful that uh, it's all been um, taken care of or apparently on the verge of being taken care of. So just consider yourself lucky, folks. Your life could have been bad enough to either have to go have people spray gorilla snot so the sun or the 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 sand isn't blowing all over the freeway, which is what's happening in Arizona, or you could, you know, all of a sudden have your phone mixed up with everybody in your neighborhood. Or earlier we talked about a guy that found a grenade doing yard work. You think you got it bad? Come on. Hey, our hero of the day. You know, we always like to end with a hero story. How about this? Think of just being a police officer. You get a phone call or a call where, you know, somebody needs help and uh, you go show up. You never know what you're going to find. But the story is out of um, Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department has a police officer who was called to go find a, a, a student that had left school. And the student was potentially a suicide risk and um, was a boy about 18 years of age that had walked away from school. And now somebody took a picture, a photo of this police officer sitting down with this student. Officer Tim Purdy found the boy. He was responding to the call of the 18-year-old autistic boy. And uh, the kid had left the school grounds, potentially suicidal. And the officer found him, sat down with him, and for about 20 minutes... Talk to the kid about his feelings and just let the boy talk. And they said he even got him laughing. He got him back with his mom and with school officials. Somebody took a picture. They're sitting in a parking lot with the cop sitting on the ground near the boy, and the boy's just sitting on the curb talking. Sometimes, folks, that's all we need to be the hero is just be there to hear and to listen and to to hear the complaints of others and the fears of others. So to this police officer, Officer Tim Purdy, you're the hero of the day, just being a symbol of what we all need to do, listening more, listening better. That's why we do the show, to give you the tools, the information you have and you need to live healthier lives. We'll be back again Monday with more information for you. Look us up on iTunes, on TuneIn. Go find the BYU Radio app, and you can get all of our past episodes. Stick with us, folks. We'll be back Monday, and until then, take care of one another.